Earlier, at the What's on Joe Mine Pool and Recreation Complex. So I'm at the pool today, and we go midday, which was my idea, and a bad one. And you know me, I'm cowered by the edge of the pool, using the lip of the pool for shade. Because I'm not built for that, man. So all the other moms and dads are playing with their kids, and I'm on the edge. And Derek and Elizabeth want to play monkey in the middle with a bouncy ball. And I'm like, that's cool, except I'm never going in the middle, because the middle's in the sun. So you guys can rotate. But dad is home base. Dad's not moving. Dad would be on fire in the pool. Exactly. It would be a neat trick. Good evening, everybody. Mike Irizarry. It's time for another What's on Joe Mind. And this is episode 117. I'm short of co-hosts this time around, but there's simply too much news to let this wait any longer. So we've gone back to the bench. He may as well be a regular host at this point, because Lord knows I don't think we've done a show without him since the end of last year. With me this evening is Mark Weber. Wasn't I on the last one? You were on the last one. I think you are on the one before that. I'm Cal Ripken. Look at me. I know. You're, you've got a string going. Yeah. How's Wally Pip doing? <laughs> Lost in North Carolina. Let's see a yeah. Shout out to my, to my boy Wally. The the last episode was Dogs of Dunlagar, which was episode 116. Then 115 was Searching for Tim Roberts. Oh, man. I mean, that, that's the Mark Webber cornerstone right there that's that's your legacy right there searching for I tim roberts still haven't heard from tim and that's that's might be a good thing actually <laughs> and then if you go back previous to that was 114 and that was into the voliverse where our second co-host made his last appearance from the voliverse personal it's bobby vala what's up y'all it's so, pretty exciting i know right it's like the bench has come in and it's that weird Sunday afternoon game where everybody gets that start. I don't like to think of Mark and myself as like the bench. Mark, that says we're not good enough to be starters. Right? I think starters. I mean, being a bench for a fan-based podcast is probably points in your favor. Man, he's acting like this is like the CFL or something. Right? The whole Joe fan base and community is a family anyway, and I, I'm not being facetious about that, but... Bobby and I are legit good pals who fought a lot of battles side by side in the halls of the Big H. So oh, yeah. I am I am especially tickled to be on the show with a uh, a guy I went to war with over with meaning side by side many 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 times. And oh shucks, I think the amount of times Bobby and I disagreed on something toy wise, you could probably count on two fingers. So yeah. we're we're a very simpatico, and so that makes sense that tonight is the night when we're going to have some massive disagreements <laughs> for for your amusement. Uh, amazing, that's fantastic. Not to besmirch your fine reputations, but being the bench players on a on a podcast such as ours, a two bit slime show, if you will, <laughs> it, it's not the worst thing you've ever been branded with. It implies that you have something better to do with your time, unlike myself and Ms. Joe Colton and Mr. Carson Metaxas. 
if Carson's so busy, I want to go raid his Toys R Us. That's what I want to do. Right? There can't be, can't be anybody minding the security post. Right? Mark, I'll come pick you up. Road trip. That's perfect, because we can trade off sleeping and driving. We'll be there in 20 hours flat. <laughs> so I think it's only in, like, North Carolina or South Carolina. We can get there quicker than 20 hours. Well, it depends on which way we're driving. Hmm. If we're going to hit up Kokomo Toys on the way, it's going to add a couple oh, hours. Oh, good call. Is that a free plug? Sure. <laughs> it depends on if they send me something. Curse you, Kokomo Toys. Shaking <laughs> fist. We got a deal going with Kokomo Toys. We cannot besmirch the fine folks at Kokomo Toys. Absolutely not. They're a long-running sponsor. They have the What's on Joe Mine Lounge in their fabulous customer area. Well, I'm glad I could put aside my cosplay prep for Dragon Con to be on the show tonight. You know how it goes. It's tough out there. I feel bad for the poor girl. Her Facebook feed had the terrible news. And mind you, this is 15 or 16 costumes into a four-day event. And she's got this much planned already, these 15 or 16 costumes. The Facebook status hit, I just realized I don't have an MCU costume for Dragon Con. (laughs) <laughs> At which point, I, I really, my heart went out for the wrist lock, Wes Whitlock. Right. Because uh, he's the one that's going to have to deal with the fallout there. Now, she has a bunch of brilliant costumes, but Hela is my favorite. Doesn't that count? Yeah, I find it hard to believe she wouldn't have a an MCU costume. Look, I know as much as you do, okay? You guys both, you're her friend on Facebook. That's what it said. That's all I know. Look, I'm just saying... That is a hella good costume. <laughs> hey! Hey! Finally got to use for that rim shot sound effect. Right? That one's not as good in text, so I'm glad I could deliver it, you know, verbally. <laughs> so since since the last age that you did an episode with us, Mark, which is all of two yeah. months, what's what's happened with you? Well, I finished off the worst class of uh, my MBA studies at the University of Rhode Island taking some night courses there and uh, on track to graduate with my MBA this December. So I've only got three classes left and I had a a summer long financial uh, whatever course. And it was brutal. It was so bad. It was all online except for the final, which was half the grade. So for the Yahoo's out there who figured they'd have their cousin, Bill, the accountant just do all the work they made sure to wait the final heavy, the only time you have to actually, you know, arrive and show off an ID. So the homework was really forgiving. You could turn it in like three times before the grade got final. So it was easy to, to do it. You get back the ones you got wrong, you know, dig back into those, correct those. You have two more tries before the grade gets final. So my homework grade was outstanding, but my midterm grade was like a 76. And I'm like, ah, man, that final is going to be completely sink or swim. But the guy put up, he said, I always write a fresh final every semester, so I'm happy to give you last semester's final to prep with. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I sat down with the final from the previous semester and tore through it. And I did pretty poorly, actually, but he provided you an answer key. Mm -hmm. So I could look up, and also how it's done. So I could look up what did I do wrong. I poured over that thing. And was reasonably confident as I walked into the final 
30 questions, three hours. I've walked in, showed my ID, sat down, flipped open the test and went, oh, I'm hosed. It was <laughs> nothing like the previous semester's final, which is brutal to give that to a class and say, here, study this. And then he said he was crafting a new one to craft one that's nothing like last semester's. So I, I did the math quick in my head and went, I need out of 30, I need 15 right to get out of here with a C and credit, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, that old saying that C's get degrees. So I, I, I tore through it and there were, there were nine that I knew I had, soup to nuts, got these right. So I did those nine first. And then I tore through, you know, the next level where I could eliminate some options. And there were 12 that I thought I had a 50-50 shot on. And I'm like, all right, well, that gets me my 15 if I'm accurate here, if I didn't miss any of those nine sure things. And then the impossible ones, and this is late in the test, I looked around, there's like three of us left in the room. And so I, all right, eh, I'll just see, 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 did all that, hoping for that C. I was the last guy out. And then later in my next course, the next semester, the summer, I found out there were six people in that class, and I just never noticed because we only met once. And four of the six of them failed the course, failed the course, and I escaped with a C plus. So nicely done. Long story long, you know, survive in advance, and it, it actually meant a lot because had I failed that course, not only is it you know fourteen hundred bucks wasted. But it's a prereq for the last required course I'm taking this fall. So me failing mm. that final or failing it worse than I did would have meant walking next June rather than this December. So, yeah, it's kind yeah. Of a big deal. When the grade, when the C plus popped up online like 10 days later, I ran laps inside the house, right? <laughs> the cats were all hiding under things. It was a big win. So, yeah, that's my story. C plus and damn proud of it. Nice job, Mark. Nice job. No, no more math classes for this marketer. C is for graduate. That's it. I had a buddy who went to a school where a D gave you credit. What? And he had a shirt that said D for diploma. Yeah. <laughs> that was my other motto back in the day. I, I went to a school that had what they called the university studies program. It's one of those deals where they force you to take all different classes in all different kinds of disciplines, even though I, with my mass communications, liberal arts degree, I had got stuck taking science labs and things like that. And so for those classes, so long as you didn't fail, you were okay. So I had a, a, a biology lab that was D for diploma. Man, I remember walking out of my last required science class at Arizona State and doing the breakfast club fist in the air. No more science ever, ever in this life. It was a good day. You were Judd Nelson. I was. I actually interviewed him at a BotCon. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was pretty cool. Seems like it. He, he's he got that role in life that I wish I could have. And Judd that... Nelson at a BotCon, huh? Yeah, he was the voice of Hot Rod. Oh, okay. Yeah, in the movie. 
So they brought him into a BotCon. He was gracious. He was good with the fans. He signed a lot. And then at like a second dinner, he got up to speak, and the acoustics were so bad, you could not understand him. Uh-huh. And, and he talked for like 18, 19 minutes. He wasn't just, you know, waving and then, you know, get me back to Hollywood. He was gracious, but nobody could understand a word he said. So he would pause for applause sometimes, and people would look up from their prime rib or whatever it was and go, oh, geez, clap, okay. (laughs) He looks like he's waiting for a response here. Let's clap for him. Yeah. I had a whole presentation to go after him, and and we scrapped it because nobody could hear at all. So I lost the opportunity to have Judd Nelson open for me. Whatever. So, Bobby, since we've spoken to you, you've had a bit more of an eventful time. By eventful, do you mean uh, failure? <laughs> no, because that's, again, for our program, that's pretty well par for the course. That's assumed. You're on the program, so you obviously didn't win at something. <laughs> no, right, no, I'll no. Not at all, Bobby. But we joined you. We were part of the entourage that was really plugging the heck out of your Kickstarter project for Action Force. That project, unfortunately, did not fund. But uh, what a, yeah, I feel like the What's on Joe Mind push, the storied What's on Joe Mind push has lost some momentum. <laughs> I, I, yeah, because you guys said that you have good odds with people at Kickstarters. We but do. I guess that's, I, uh, that's the second I one. That, I dropped that, those stats a little bit. That is the second time that a project creator on that did not fund, and, and I, I feel responsible for that. Oh, no, no, no. The responsibility is all on me. I take full responsibility for it. Not funding, but I don't go away that easy, for sure. So you're back. I'm so. uh, still plugging along and I'm uh, I'm ready to relaunch this thing very, very soon. That's what I'm talking about. Very soon. You've been uh, still very good about keeping everybody on top of where you're at with what you're doing. Yeah. Through emails, yep. through Facebook, through uh, Instagram. For folks who don't necessarily follow those feeds explain what you've been up to since then here sure so when it didn't fund i was obviously in a minor state of depression you know but i I was legitimately really bummed about it because i had i had such high hopes about it and you know the feedback was so good for it but you know there was a lot of things i don't think it was one major thing but i think it was a lot of little things compounded that caused it not to fund so I basically took some time and I assessed every aspect of it and I looked at areas where it could be improved and I set up a new game plan and I said, all right, well, I'm going all in just like I was the first time. I'm just, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to give up on this thing. I'm not going to half-ass it. So I decided I'm just going to keep going strong and I have a new plan in mind to hopefully get it funded the second time around. And uh, I also have a game plan to show more for the the relaunch. So on some of my social media, I showed that I just got a new set of RP models in the other day last week from Lightbeam Studios in Mass. Great guide, works with Boss Fight and Dime Novel Legends, I think Marauders, but Scott's a great printer. And I sent all my files to him, got new parts printed because I'm gonna get new models made. So I'm gonna have all new hand-painted models done. Uh, I'm also going to get some resin casts and send them out to some influencers so that they can review them in person, get them in people's hands so that they could see them, get all the characters done up in hand-painted models so you will be able to see you know, the female characters that everyone was really digging so much, plus the initial figures for the fun goal. I changed up a little bit, so you know, I want to start fresh with all new models. 
So that was the first step of getting those. I'm meeting with Scott tomorrow to give him the RP parts back so that he can mold and cast them. And then I'll have the cast and send them off to get painted. And then we'll be all good. And I'm also, I lined up some fantastic writers. I would announce who they are. They're very well known in the Joe community, but I didn't ask them first. And I don't want to throw their names out there without, you know, running by them first. But I lined up writers because I'm getting a webcomic done. There was a lot of feedback from people that they wanted to know more about the story and the mythos and the characters. And what I gave them was just kind of just a, a, a tease. So I'm having issues done of, of web comics, very similar to the Joe Order of Battle stuff where it focused on one character for each issue. So I'm doing a new story for the whole mythos and then having these little web comics focus on each individual character. I got artists lined up, getting that all started. So I'll be able to launch with a bunch of issues so that people can read up on these characters and learn more about them and get more into the mythos of Action Force so that when uh, the relaunch happens, it's full speed ahead. That's basically what uh, what I've been doing, just keeping busy doing Action Force. Excellent. The most recent post you did today, you revealed what your opening lineup is going to be when the Kickstarter goes live again. Yes. Yes, I did. Because, you know, one of the things I did realize about the initial launch was that the fun goal was too high. I had high hopes and I just thought, maybe too highly of the project. And I thought that having what I had would bypass that fun goal. But the Kickstarter mentality of people is very odd. The way people have thoughts about Kickstarter and backing a project and waiting till the last minute, even though it doesn't charge your credit card, unless the project gets funded, and it doesn't charge your credit card until after the project is funded. So you know, I, I the mentality of people waiting, I think is very odd. But it's kind of something that everyone doing a Kickstarter has to kind of take into consideration because that's just what you deal with you know if people wait until a couple days before when they get that email from kickstarter reminding them of it and they see that your project isn't really close to being funded they won't back it which is odd because it's really no skin off their back if they back it so i don't understand why they don't but it is what it is so you kind of have to deal with that so i decided All right. Well, in the grand scheme of things, it still raised uh, almost $92,000 with over 400 backers, which I thought was a pretty decent number. But this time around, I'm going to go with a much smaller fund goal so that this way it can get funded quicker. Mm -hmm. And then when all those people waiting until the last minute at the end see that the project is funded, they'll get on it and then you'll get all your stretch goals unlocked and that that sort of thing. So I'm going to go with three figures instead of five figures this time cutting that fun goal tremendously and the three figures for the initial launch will be condor bone collector and steel brigade they were based off of a poll that i did getting people that backed it and the people that didn't back it who their favorite characters were and those three characters were the highest which i had a feeling they were going to be anyway so i i sort of kind of planned for that i'm glad steel brigade was in there so, you voted for Steel Brigade like a hundred times, Bobby. I I, I did. I did. Come All on. Steel Brigade votes were, were for me. And let's be real. If Steel Brigade wasn't in the top three, I would have put him there anyway. I was but. looking at that. It was like, <laughs> vote Bobby Valla. Vote Robert Valla. Vote Roberto Valla. Come on now. That's right. You got me. Bobby um, V. But, Alla. Just be that as it may, though. With all the, you know, the Valla 
ballot stuffing for the beloved Steel Brigade. Who was the most popular character of those three? Steel Brigade. Oh, come on. Yeah, Steel Brigade. All right. Who was the second most popular character? Condor. Come on. And Bone Collector. That I literally went in the in the order. The 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 interesting thing is how highly rated the females were. So number four was Karak, and then the two females were right after that. It was very interesting how coveted the females were. I put that little tease up the other day about a female Steel Brigade trooper, and that blew up. So now I have to put a female Steel Brigade trooper in the line. So now I have to figure out the order of the stretch goals, which is going to be no easy task. That's true. Well, I mean, is it ever? <laughs> but anyhow, uh, the, to give you a coda to our story, the other project that we we had the creator on the show and, and ultimately his project failed, when he went back to the well, it did fund the second time. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. So and, and that, that's the other not, precedent that you've got here, Bobby. And not just to butter up the co-host and my buddy, but to say the project was a failure is a thousand percent inaccurate. He got $90,000, you know, pledged to it with more that I believe would have come if you were closer to the actual funding goal. So no, I, I, when I say failure, I, I joke. Um, It was, it was like my coping mechanism by saying, "Uh aha, you know, fail. But no, it's at the end of the day, there was a, a tremendous amount of positive points that I took out of it. And, you know, with any failure, you learn from it and you just fix those things so that things are different and work better the the following time around. So at the end of the day, it's like, I'm not happy that it didn't fund, but it's also like, well, now I can make a better product. Now I can come out with positive changes and hopefully it's a success this time around. And if it is, then I can say, okay, those things that I learned, I, you know, made those changes and, uh, you know, it worked, but I'll, I'll make a, I don't know how many people listening are, are UFC fans, but there was a UFC pay-per-view this weekend and Daniel Cormier fought Stipe Miocic and Stipe was fighting and he was getting his ass kicked for the first three rounds, just dismantled by a smaller, shorter guy. And uh, the fourth round came and he made a change and started throwing these wicked body shots. And he ended up knocking out DC in the fourth round. So it's like when you make changes and, and they're positive changes, you recognize what's working and then you make those changes, great things can happen. So I look at that kind of situation. I'm like, hey, listen, if guy can get his ass beat for three rounds, but then come back in the fourth and win, hey, all right, let's do it. That's right. Time to start throwing body shots. I like it. Listen, if I were fighting somebody, I would definitely go to the body. That's what Rocky did. Rocky went to the body. It's where you win. <laughs> the punch to the jaw, overrated. Totally. Overrated. <laughs> Says the fight doctor, Mike Irizarry. <laughs> right. I think I was at a fight in the sixth grade. I think that was the last time. Was it with Tim Roberts? It was not with Tim Roberts. Yeah, he was still recovering from the high jump. Probably. You're a little older than I am, so like Tim Roberts probably would have been bigger than me at that point, too. So uh, That's a good point. I mean, it's, it's like a, what, a year, two years, maybe. I don't know. It's not much. Class of 92, lava oh. bears. <laughs> lava bears? Lava bears, baby. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, I, you know what? I'm not going to ask because that's a whole other, that's a half an just, hour of stuff that I'm going to have yeah, to edit just, later. Just take, <laughs> just take my word for it. I am. I'm letting it stand. Lava bears. So that brings us to the close of the roll call segment. 
Ordinarily, we would be segueing into Joe Colton Presents Creepy Fanboy Messages Straight from Loser Town. But barring Joe Colton, we're not going to go to Loser Town this time around. Unless, Bobby, do you have some messages from fans trying to hook up with you on Instagram? I don't. I wish I had groupie type fans. Um, no, no stalkers? You know. Why do you think I got into the toy industry? I wanted groupie fans. That's what I wanted. But, you know, the majority of toy fans are guys. So I guess I was wrong in that sense. But no, I don't get any weird messages. So there's what we call a tactical misstep. (laughs) We we know Mark Weber doesn't have those fans because he's kind of a ginger. Yeah. But honestly, it's the best part of the show. I think Joe should have to deliver two next time. Look, Joe would agree with you. I'll I'll tell you, when we were at Ohio Toy and Comic Show doing our panel, she publicly accused me of trying to censor her segment. (laughs) And it was because the last couple shows we've done, we haven't done regular shows all that often. With You know, Joe News has been kind of interspersed. When we get it, we tend to get it in this big clump, and that's when we do an episode. But there isn't a whole lot in between, so we don't do a lot of regular what's on Joe Minds these days. So we've had these big news bits and we've had these big mailbags, post sock segments. And so I say to her when we're doing pre-production, hey, let's just do one this time. Otherwise, we're going to have like a four-hour episode. And she took that and accused me in public on our panel of trying to censor the Loser Town segment. I created the Loser Town segment. I love it more than I could a child. (laughs) <laughs> and now it's come back to slap you in the face and, and in public how dare she how <laughs> dare she you guys are both going to be up for permanent host spots soon you just watch yes. right that's what i was hoping for as long as as you can work it around my final schedule and my cosplay uh needs that's right that okay well i mean here you, it's pre-dragon con and here you are so clearly it can't be that bad right Exactly. It's because I got my MCU costume all set. <laughs> Speaks volumes. We're picking on poor Joe Colton for not being on. We're, we're leaving Carson alone. Carson hasn't been on the show. Except for one segment we did at Joe Fest. I don't think he's been on the program for like six months. Like, we're leaving him alone. Where He's getting no abuse towards Carson. None. Carson is Teflon. I- I just assume he's lost in the woods of North Carolina somewhere. So. That's entirely possible. He's off on some swamp boat. Yeah, out Good on for a, him. Out on I a hope skiff. He... Training to be a dreadnought. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm totally picturing him on Zanzibar's skiff. <laughs> <laughs> With an eye patch for some reason, but okay. He'll be the dreadnought with the very neat haircut. Right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into the news. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Which one of you did that? That was me. That was Walmart. All right. You couldn't tell you couldn't tell from the list? Come on now. Look, Joe, you're fired. When you're doing the ticker tape sound, there isn't that much of a lisp, so I don't know what to right? tell you there, man. That's, I'm good I'm good with it. It's <laughs> You're in control of your destiny, Mark Weber. <laughs> Not sure what that means, but I just got to figure out words that don't have S's in them and, and try to incorporate them more often into my vocabulary. I mean, you're talking about something that we really don't notice when we're just talking to you naturally. So, Right. You're in your own head too much on that one, man. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're entirely in your own way. Anyways, first do, news do, item. Do, 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 do. 
Rob Liefeld is scheduled to helm a new Snake Eyes comic project from IDW. The Hollywood Reporter is, um, well, it's reporting that Liefeld will serve as artist and writer for Snake Eyes Endgame, a new miniseries starting in early 2020. The article states, IDW president and publisher slash chief creative officer Chris Ryall said of working with Liefeld, quote, the high-octane, adrenaline-fueled action and adventure Rob brings to every comic he creates is a perfect fit for Snake Eyes, and we're all as excited as you are to see him really cut loose on the pages of this very special G.I. Joe series, end quote. So, Bobby, I'll toss this one to you first. My take is cautious optimism. All right, let me see how... I didn't want to get fired up at the very start of the podcast, but it looks like that's going to happen. So here we go. Here we go. Get ready. Get ready for Snake Eyes to have a hundred and six inch chest and no feet, and you know straight wrists because that's what you're going to get out of the worst, most successful comic book artist on the planet. So it, you know what it is. It bothers me so much because. Like I went to the Joe Kubert art school. I wanted to draw comics and I did the grind and I, you know, tried to better myself and I went to all the cons and I was doing all this stuff. Cause the way I saw it, I was like, shoot, if Rob Liefeld could get paid work, man, I can get paid work. But it was really hard for me to get paid work. And I look at it now and I'm just like, wait a second. How does this guy still get paid comic work? He is literally terrible. Like, mm. Hasn't even gotten better. Like you would think like, okay, he's had years to get better. And he works with some of the most talented comic guys on the, on the planet. You would think like being friends with like Jim Lee, he'd be like, Hey, listen, Jim, once a month, can we sit down for a couple hours? Can you like give me some tips and give me some training or, Hey, you know what? Rob Liefeld, go to the Joe Kubert school. I'm sure you can like get taught a little bit there. Nope. Just did awful, awful comics. Hey man. And he got paid for it. And there's I'm like, gap commercials to make can't be going to art school when you got to make a gap commercial i guess and then it's like he gets a four-leaf clover by creating deadpool and then they make you know a billion dollar movie off of it so it's like how has this guy been celebrated for being terrible i mean i'm sure people can say the same thing about me that bobby val is terrible and he makes terrible toys but we're talking about rob liefeld here and i'm just like i just don't get it chris ryle i i had respect for him buddy you hired Rob Liefeld to draw a Snake Eyes comic. I, I put a blurb on Facebook and Instagram that I needed artists because I was doing this webcomic. I got messages from so many talented people, yet you're giving work to Rob Liefeld. Now, I get it. I get you're trying to sell his name. But is his name really worth the terrible product that you're going to get? That's my two cents on Rob Liefeld, Snake Eyes comic. <laughs> Mark, I'm going to give Bobby a second. I want to make sure he's done. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you sure? You sure you you don't have anything left in any of those eight thousand pouches around your thighs? Well, and <laughs> give me another minute. I'll, I'm going to tell a really funny story about Rob Liefeld, just because it shows what a clown he is. So Comic Con 2015, yeah, maybe 2015. So I was doing the Marvel three and three quarter inch line. And I had done the X-Men blue and yellow Deadpool figure. And we got him in there. So, But we 
debuted it at Comic-Con, and we had him in the case. And Rob Liefeld came by, and he saw it, and Dwight Stahl, everyone knows who Dwight Stahl is, Rob's talking to him about it, and I'm standing there, and I, and I know it's Rob Liefeld, and he's looking at the figure, and he says to Dwight, he's like, oh, wow, you guys are doing this Deadpool figure, and Dwight, Dwight just thinks he's just some guy. Just some fan. Hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 cool Deadpool figure. Rob's like, yeah, yeah, this is great. And Dwight's like, oh, you like Deadpool? And Rob's like, yeah, a little bit. Like, I guess Rob expected him to realize who he was, and Dwight just didn't realize who he was. (laughs) And I guess at that point, Rob was just embarrassed, so he didn't say anything. Like, he didn't say, like, well, I'm Rob Rob Liebel. So I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm beat right because I'm, like, can't wait to burst out laughing. He leaves the booth, and I, I lost it. And I said to Dwight, I said, you know who that was, right? And he's like, no, who was I was like, that's Rob Liefeld. Like, that was Rob Liefeld, the creator of Deadpool. And he was just like, oh, all right. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was, it was definitely a great moment for me to see that embarrassment. Floor's yours, Mark. When I went back to uh, Phoenix for Christmas... This is the year that I had my cancer surgery, right? And so I'm going back to Phoenix, and we put together a get-together for McFarland Toys employees because I, I stayed on real good terms with the folks there. We just invited anybody who had ever worked for McFarland in Phoenix to get together one night at a, at a really nice pizza joint. And it was a great night because I got to see everybody at once, and it was a homecoming for dozens of people, right? So it was just a wonderful evening, and there's you know there's almost no better place in the world than Phoenix in December, right? When That's it's true. like 84 degrees out, beautiful, and so it was a, a wonderful night. And I was talking actually with Todd and his wife Wanda, and Rob showed up and was in town. I don't know if he was doing something with Todd or what, but he was kind of over railing. He wasn't in the he wasn't in the restaurant yet. We were outside the patio. And so he talked to Todd and said hi, and then they, they chatted for a little bit. And then Todd says, well, you know, Wanda, this is Mark Weber." And Todd stepped aside, and Liefeld's looking at both of us. And you've probably seen pictures of Todd's wife. She's a stunner and, and crazy smart. And Rob looked at both of us and said, wow, you look great. And I looked him dead in the eye and said, hey, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> Not- not a chance in a million years he was talking to me, but it was worth it just for the gra- just for the grab. So that's my only, uh, only my only Rob story. He didn't do anything wrong. I just took the opportunity to to be a goof because why not? Hey, why not? It's kind of a theme by that point, I'm sure. Yeah, as far as the comic goes, I'm gonna give a little more a little more room than Bobby is because I'm not an artist, and even when I was a kid. John Byrne was was my jam from the early uh, the X-Men that that I fell in love with my first favorite comic. But by and large, because I couldn't draw, everybody was better than me. So I had a very low bar and I was always story driven more than art. I'll take a good story with an average artist over an average story and a great artist. That's just how I grew up. And so anybody drawing a comic worked for me uh, until I got to Bill Sinkovich on New Mutants. And he blew my mind with Warlock had Bill the Cat Eyes, where Mm -hmm. one was like eight times as big as the other one. 
that was hard for me to to reconcile. But by and large, the art doesn't bother me, and Liefeld is is still a big name in comics. And so with the Joe brand at, at such ridiculous low tide right now, anything that brings eyeballs is probably good for the brand. I think my only legitimate criticism of it is if you had a new project you were going to put out there right now, what would you name it? I'm not sure, but I wouldn't name it Endgame. Right? I, I mean, <laughs> that actually brings legitimately in... the biggest movie ever now. Yeah, I, I might have gone with something different. That brings my concerns to it. To Bobby's point, yeah, he's still a pretty terrible artist, but they have shown some some advanced images, and he's clearly not doing his own finishes. Mm. And whoever is doing those finishes probably deserves some kind of a medal because it really doesn't look that bad. The problem, that, or I don't want to say the problem, but the concern that I have is that not even so much that he's serving as the artist, but the writer. And I just keep thinking back to, uh, like, I have these these trauma flashbacks back to 90s comic books and all these mutant stories uh, across any number of titles, which for some reason sold like gangbusters, but never made a lick of sense. There's still plot points just dangling out there with, with no chance of ever being resolved. And he's responsible for a lot of them. So that's where I hope that he's matured a little but everything else that mark said is right for whatever reason this guy still sells books he has made a lot of people in the comic business a lot of money and clearly gi joe was one of his influences lord knows he ripped it off every opportunity he got putting bits and pieces of gi joe uniforms or weaponry or what have you into his work back in the 90s and the 2000s so when he wants to get attached to a brand that you're trying to push, and IDW really has been trying to push G.I. Joe, you kind of have to let him. It's too much of an opportunity to let go. I hope that it's at least okay. I, I'm not expecting it to be great. If this turns out to be a great story, I mean, we all need to start picking out our favorite flavor of mustard to put and eat with our hats, right? Mm-hmm. So, God forbid, I, I'm not even holding out that much hope. I'm just hoping for four issues of, okay, non-damaging, I guess, is, is really what I'm hoping for. And best-case scenario really doesn't even involve the quality of the book. Best-case scenario is it, it moves 20,000 copies per issue. That's, I think, the best-case scenario for the Rob Liefeld Snake Eyes project. So, yeah, cautious optimism is, is how we're going to wind all that up into two words. Do you think he'll give Snake Eyes a mouth? I think the mask will have two sets of lips. Mm. And not on purpose. It's just because he'll draw and then cough, and the rest yeah, of but... the mouth will turn up somewhere else, and he won't erase it. But odds are there will be a pouch over both lips, so we're good. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Those pouches will be shaped like feet. That look, <laughs> that look Ironically. Better, that look better than the feet he was trying to draw his feet. When I see him, like at conventions... I'm always tempted to go up to him and be like, hey, I want to you know, commission you to do a sketch. Can you do a profile of Captain America, like classic Captain America, just a profile shot? And I just want to see if he gets that I'm messing with him 
or if he's just like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that, and then I want to see how he does it. Yeah, that and that's the one for a self-professed guy that doesn't care about art. That profile shot of Cap is the most ridiculous oh, thing I've ever seen. I, I just can't believe someone let like someone at Marvel let that yeah. cover happen. It's bad on Rob Liefeld, but it's also maybe even worse on the editors at Marvel. Like, uh, you didn't look at that. Right. Say, hey, uh, Rob, you want to redo that? Each individual peck is larger than his armored head. Right. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. You must work out. <laughs> <laughs> Cap, do you he lift, was, bro? He was on that Barry Bonds HGH. Apparently. No, that made your head get bigger. <laughs> oh, that's true. That is true. <laughs> Seen Barry these days? Yeah. Yeah. It's Try his, the Arizona State, man. Yeah, Sun Devil. His head's normal size. Yeah, he's like he's like a buck seventy now. The Does pride of Arizona State is Reggie that's Jackson. Right. Well, that's a good point. I, I and if you live in New England, it's Nikhil Harry, first round pick of the Patriots. They're very excited up here. All right, not not to correct you on both your sport and your school, but the pride of Arizona well, State is Reggie freaking Jackson. I'm gonna cut you off at the knees. As much as we love Reggie, the pride of Arizona State is Pat Tillman and PT42 forever. Thank you very much. Damn straight, Mark. That's Damn football. Straight. That's football. It's not baseball. Reggie Jackson played football at Arizona yeah, that, State. That's not where he's the pride of Arizona State. Well, no. And this broke my heart when I read his autobiography. Ricky Henderson was going to come to Arizona State because Reggie was his idol. And he wanted to play football and baseball at ASU. And he used that as the hammer in his negotiations with the A's to get more money and go straight to the Myers. I'm like, oh, Ricky the Sun Devil. Oh, it would have been great. How fantastic would it have been to see Ricky Henderson playing football? I mean, you can imagine. He was a beast in high school. So, Holy yeah, cow, I, I, I'm sorry we missed that. Oof, that's Bo Jackson territory. Absolutely. Anyhow. Ugh. Oh, I got a, got a shudder from that. Ugh. Yeah. Ne- next news item. Hey, look at that. See, we, we rescued the Rob Liefeld segment with, with some baseball talk. <laughs> with Ricky Henderson and Pat Tillman. Don't forget. And, and Pat Tillman is, if you're talking just the general pride of ASU, absolutely, yeah. I concede that to you. Yeah. We can save anything with sports, even though our fans disagree. <laughs> Stop talking sports. Oh, you got your sports ball. Nobody you cares about your fantasy football league. You mean to tell me they named Flint Frontier and you're talking about Ricky Dam Henderson? That's right. That's called foreshadowing. <laughs> you realize we did that fantasy football program just to troll everybody who got mad at us, right? <laughs> that was the whole reason. That was it. That was the whole thing. <laughs> Anyhow, next news item. G.I. <laughs> Joe War on Cobra is an online game coming to iOS, we hope. Currently a game featuring classic G.I. Joe characters like Duke, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, Cobra Commander, and many others, and Vehicles is under development and available in some foreign markets, according to many online reviewers. It's still very buggy and clearly in its test phase. 
There has been no official word on when the game will be downloadable or playable in the United States. And frankly, it took them long enough. There's a phone-based app game for every other property you can imagine except G.I. Joe. And frankly, that's... I mean, even if you took just some crappy game like that Snake Eyes one was that was out a couple years ago and slapped G.I. Joe likenesses in it, it would still be something. Anyhow, I hope this turns out to be something even lightly enjoyable. I mean, it's a low bar as far as app-based games are. So, yeah. And I joined the brand at Hasbro in September of 14, and I provided some insight into some app kind of stuff. I'm not sure this was it, but it's, it's about time, I think, is, is the general feeling about this. Bobby Vallow, what games you play on your phone? I play Instagram and Facebook <laughs> and eBay. <laughs> um, I'm weird. I'm, I'm not like a gamer. Like, I don't own any video game systems. I don't, I don't play any video games. I downloaded Angry Birds 2 a couple weeks ago, and I literally played it for like two days, and I, I haven't played it since. The way I, I see it, I'm, I'm so busy with all this Action Force stuff that I'm constantly doing things for it. I'm always on social media, seeing what people are saying when I do new posts, seeing what's trending, that kind of thing. I'm always on eBay because I'm obviously a collector and I have a problem. So I buy stuff all the time. Yeah, I don't, I don't really I don't really play anything. So, you know, when I saw this, I was kind of like, eh, my first assumption is it's not going to be good because when I read like, OK, well, they're only doing foreign markets. They're not doing U.S. Um, there's red flag number one. It seemed like a like a rush job. And, you know, this is a typical Hasbro licensing it out and not really caring what is done with it. So someone just kind of, you know, threw the app together and hopefully they could fix it all and it's fun, it's playable, but it's it looks like it's just vehicle based. But um, the one thing that I, I did find kind of funny, someone messaged me on Instagram or Facebook and they said, oh, did you see this? They're calling the new team like it was something kind of similar to Steel Brigade. But they said, oh, they can't call anything Steel Brigade because you own it now. And I, I kind of chuckled, but I, you know, I said, well, it's, they would have had to have been developing this for a while before I got Steel Brigade. Mm -hmm. But I only own the trademark in toy form. So they could put it in all the games they want. It's just that if they want to go and make figures, they're going to have a problem on their hands. But I'm kind of just lukewarm to it. I'm sure once it it's available in the U.S., I'll download it. I'll, I'll check it out just to see. But... At first glance, it's kind of just like, eh. Mark Weber. Basically, it, it's hard to judge it until we see it. If it's just average or disappointing, that's still progress. Mm. It's still something where we had nothing. So it's, you know, it's not all that different than the Liefeld book in that <laughs> moving the needle at all is good. I love so, your positivity, Mark. You know what? It's taken me uh, to uh, to great places, right? Yeah, I am kind of, in general, an optimist and, and hopeful. And we all love the brand. We all want the brand to do well. So I'm hopeful. But yeah, when it's launching in foreign markets first and looks to be taking their design cues from classic Joe, if I was writing up the marketing plan, I wouldn't take a real American hero and launch it in foreign markets. But That's the thing I found interesting. Mark, you know, it's like we heard... For how many years, it's like, well, G.I. Joe is a U.S.-based brand. So it's like to take something like this and launch it not in the U.S., you're kind of like, well, okay. A little weird. Yeah, a little, a little different there. 
Yeah, but I can also see that if you don't really have a project that is not... Like, obviously, again, most of the reviews say that it's really buggy. If you have something that isn't at least 99% of the way there, and you release it in the U.S., you're going to get skewered. So testing it out in, in other smaller markets first, regardless of what the branding is, is smart if you're actually planning on, on developing it. You know, yeah. if you're just going to throw something out there, some piece of junk, you'd have thrown it out there by now, and whatever, however it fell, it fell. And however loud of a slap it made when it hit the ground, you just wouldn't care. So the fact that they're testing it out in smaller markets first where there aren't as many stakes involved, I'm okay with that. I hope it eventually gets there. I hope it's just not lost in development hell as some of these projects can be sometimes. The thing that caught my eye originally, uh, immediately was that it was not available on iPhones. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if that's still true or not, but seems to me if you're putting together an app, you might want to have that niche iPhone market in your in your uh, development plans. True, but I, again, if as soon as you get a product that works to that ninety nine plus percentile, then you can start worrying about converting it over to iPhone. Yeah, I feel like point. that's a that's a step in the process that does come kind of late. Like once you've got a good product in one format, it's reasonably okay to make it in the other one afterwards. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, I, I, I'm coming at it purely from an outsider's perspective, but how I've seen similar products developed in the past, that, that seems to be the case. Anyhow, when I'm messing around on the phone, I'm playing Transformers Earth Wars. There you go. Collecting virtual robots keeps me from taking up a whole lot of space with actual robots. <laughs> it's the best kind of collecting. It's free and doesn't take up any space. Sign me there up. There you go. Sign me up. Next news item. Haslab projects. We're elbow deep in Haslab projects. We got Cookie Monster and we got Unicron. Cookie Monster is a project near and dear to my heart. It is a fully posable plush standing three feet tall, which is, quote, life size, with fur similar to his color and texture on Sesame Street. Whereas Unicron is pretty well the exact opposite side of the coin. He is the largest official Transformer ever with 50 points of articulation and transforms into his planet mode that is 30 inches in diameter. That is huge. Cookie Monster requires 30,000 units pre-sold at $299.99 each. Unicron requires 8,000 units at $574.99 each. More details can be found at HasbroPulse.com. And to fill in some of those details, Cookie Monster is available for another five days plus, and it has 499 backers out of 3,000, so not looking good. Unicron is at 11 days remaining. It has 2,786 backers out of 8,000, so that doesn't look good either. What are your guys' thoughts on this? I know the, the sale barge was a big win right out of the gate for the, the Hasbro Pulse projects. It looks like we're going to have two misses on this one. I'm going to bash a little bit here, but it's mainly because the designer on Cookie Monster is Bill Raleigh, one of my favorite people at Hasbro and one of the best designers I've ever worked with. So Bill's a buddy, so keep that in mind. With the marketer hat fully on, how are you going to launch these two things right on top of each other at the same time? I know you want them both 
at San Diego Comic-Con to show off the prototypes and drum up interest. I get that. And no, if you Venn diagram the thing, it isn't exactly the same fan base. But you're splitting the attention you can give to either one by putting them both out at the same time. And make no mistake about it, Unicron is the one that's been getting the love. And I get that. That's pretty much an owned property from Hasbro versus Sesame Street, which they lease. But they're both amazing. They're both fantastic. And I think they, I don't want to say they doomed them both, but they did them no favors by launching them at the same time. I think they announced them like six days apart from each other. They did them no favors by dropping them on top of each other. And they both look outstanding. And I think they're amazing toys and the kind of thing that HasLab should be doing. But, and this is not a design thing at all, but the execution on these two is, is really, really disappointing. Yeah, I see them both as a big win for the toy designers and a a big loss for the toy sellers. I think everything you said is absolutely correct. There was a big uproar when they launched Cookie Monster, particularly from the Star Wars contingent, who, because the, the sail barge came first, they thought that they were privy to the entire Hasbro Pulse repertoire. They thought every every launch should be a Star Wars project. And the fact that they dared do one for a different property, let alone one that they were not necessarily happy about with Sesame Street, just blew their minds. And so to that end, it just makes me love Cookie Monster a little bit more because there's nothing I, I dislike more as a toy collector myself than spoiled, entitled toy collectors. Adult mm-hmm. toy collectors. Anyways, Cookie Monster is incredible, and if I had $300 laying around, I would pledge it to this project. Make no mistake. If I just had a like a room that had a chair in it that I didn't use very often, that would be where Cookie Monster lived. That's how much I love that. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to come to pass. Unicron, people have been kind of holding their breath on Unicron a little bit, and I don't think that late surge is coming to the tune of 5,300 backers. Bobby, you seemed like you were trying to restrain yourself a few minutes ago. You have any thoughts here? Uh, a few. <laughs> um, that sounded like it hurt, Bobby. It, well, here's here's the thing. It hurt because the other thing, going back to Action Force for a second, the thing that I am think is an issue is Kickstarter fatigue, crowdfunding fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot of it, and I think we're past the prime of it. I think the prime for Kickstarters was – the 2014 to 2016 range. I think there was a small window. It was new. Good things were coming out. And then everyone thought they could make toys and a bunch of failure Kickstarters came out and put a bad taste in people's mouth. And I think just the trend might be something that's over. We'll see how it goes the second time around for me, for people that are you know launching soon, that kind of thing. But I had pitched a crowdfunding program for Marvel for years, in uh, multiple years, 2015, 2016, probably even 20, 2017, every time we had our new years, like we were getting ready for the next year, coming up with new concepts, it was like, me being on Legends, that was something I pitched. And I remember the stupid VP brand manager at the time, or probably still is, who I have a $20 bill from, signed because he's an idiot, he 
said, no, that's a logistical nightmare. You know, we're never going to do it. Wasn't even open to it. Well, okay, why don't you just wait a couple years and let the Star Wars team jump the gun on it? Star Wars team does it. They freak out. They don't think it's going to fund. I get one for half price. I flip it. Thanks, Hasbro. But they didn't understand the crowdfunding mentality, so they all panicked, and it ended up funding at the at the end. All of Hasbro's like, oh, every group has got to start coming up with an idea for crowdfunding for a HasLab project. And it's like, hey, dummy, I pitched this to you for years, and now just because Star Wars beat you to it, now now you're you're late to the game? Okay, good job. Great, great. I'm, I'm glad you're getting that VP money because you're definitely the smartest person on the block. So aside from that, it was a little confusing to me what they launched with. And going to Mark's point, like, I'm friends with Bill. Bill got me into Hasbro, an amazing designer. And I know Bill poured his heart and soul into designing this this project. And it was probably a dream come true for him. So it kind of breaks my heart a bit that if it doesn't fund, that hurts. Because he did such a great product, I feel like it should just fund just because it's great. But at the same time, I was confused by the choice. I was confused that they led with Cookie Monster and not Unicron. And then I was talking with a former Hasbro employee shortly afterwards, and he said, well, they did that because they knew that Unicron was going to be more popular. So they gave Cookie Monster a few days in the sun and then overshadowed it by putting Unicron out there. So it was basically like they didn't even take their own thing seriously. For real. And I was surprised at, like, why would you launch two at the same time? They missed the boat. They should have had something ready to go after the sail barge. Because when did the sail barge happen? That was 2018, and then it shipped in 2019, right? Mm -hmm. So why would you not have something, like, ready to go early 2019? Once you knew that the sail barge was funded, you should have been going. Like, had something ready. But Hasbro's always late to the party. Always. They always want to show up at 11 o'clock when everyone's already drunk. No, like enjoy the party <laughs> while it's going on. And that now it's like they come out with Cookie Monster and Unicron. And it's like, I just don't understand the idea of Cookie Monster. Like, do you really think there's that many hardcore or just Sesame Street fans in general that would spend that amount of money for a life-size Cookie Monster? Don't get me wrong. I would love to have a life-size Cookie Monster. But I'm not going to spend that kind of money on it. And who would? That's the thing. And then going on to Unicron, it's like, okay, well, the sale barge was 5,000. They needed to sell 5,000 pieces. Unicron's 8,000. And I know why they did it, because the sale barge sold over 8,000. They're like, oh, look, we can get 8,000. Why don't we put it at 5,000? Let's put it at 8,000. You know, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with tooling and, and the budget, and that's what it was. But mm -hmm. The other thing is, you have 50% of your Transformers fans overseas in Asia. Yep. Is anything from HasLab sold overseas? Nope. Nope. Good job, Hasbro. I commend you for the stellar, stellar business choices that you do. So you raised it by 3000 and you're hoping that that's only going to be people in the U.S. Now, keep in mind... I could be wrong about this, but I think that there are more Star Wars fans than there are Transformers fans. 
So you're, what you're telling me is, is that Unicron is going to sell better than the sale barge. Well, and also factor in, there is a pretty damn big Unicron that's been released a couple times that's a really good toy. Yeah. Now, it pales to this behemoth, but there is a junior varsity Unicron out there, whereas the sale barge basically does not exist. Sure. But yeah, as as a guy who worked on the Transformers team, my first question on this whole thing would have been, can we tap into the global market? How many can Takara sell in Japan? Whenever we were doing a big thing for Max, Metroplex, Triptychon, that kind of thing, we tried to figure out how to split that enormous, not just tooling bill, but minimum order quantity. And how many can we sell at Comic-Con that are slightly different, that are the Rolls-Royce version, and then eat out of that giant tooling number so we weren't asking brick-and-mortar and online stores to sell that many of something with a $150 price tag. Sure. And this is only more so because it's only four times as expensive. So to not have an answer for the global Transformer fan base when you have such a daunting MOQ and price tag on it is ludicrous to me. Mm. Yeah, it's all incredibly confusing. And I just, you know, I didn't want to, like, say anything bad about it because it's like, shoot, I ran a project that didn't fund, a crowdfunding project that didn't fund. It's no secret that I have ill will towards Hasbro, but... It's just confusing. Why did you go this route? I just don't get it. And then all the Joe fans come out of the woodworks and they're all messaging me like, hey, did you see Unicron? And I bet they're going to do the flag next. And I just laugh. And I'm like, oh, guys, God, no. no, they're not. I said, I would bet my mortgage. I would bet everything that you'll never, ever see that happen. And they're like, you don't know. You don't work there anymore. I said, uh, do you really think they're going to invest a million dollars in tooling to tool an aircraft carrier. That's the saddest part of this whole thing is there was actually momentum coming off the sail barge for yeah. these, these kind of holy grail toys that normally would say, no, they'll never make that. So all of a sudden there was this glimmer of hope. But if Unicron doesn't fund, not so much Cookie Monster, but if Unicron doesn't fund, it could be the death knell of HasLab projects. Oh, absolutely. Well, Transformers didn't sell. You mean to tell me we should try G.I. Joe or absolutely. Power Rangers? or So you're something that's a legitimate idea, like a legit-sized transportable battle platform, right? Or a Megazord of whatever size is not even going to get pitched if Unicron fails and Unicron seems doomed to fail not because of the price tag and not because of the toy the yeah. toy is great the price tag is reasonable for what it is but it's just been packaged and planned so poorly that I'm worried that it's going to kill other projects that might have succeeded down the road I agree I definitely agree. Yeah. Again, not rooting against it, but I just don't see any path to success here. No, yeah. they're, they're fantastic toys. And really, like you said, cost for what they are isn't really prohibitive. If you look at that basketball of a Unicron with a display stand so it can hover, that's outstanding. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. 
It really is. Yeah, it, it's and an awesome. That was my favorite. My favorite part of it that you could put him in planet mode in a corner or the middle of your room. Like I think that's fantastic. That fifty points of articulation. I don't have fifty points of articulation. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm I'm tremendously impressed, and I'm saddened that it feels like again the execution is going to fail. What really is a gorgeous dynamite project it felt like a more logical step two would have been the best of both parts like something at the around the 300 price point from the transformers line yeah i mean even if you're just doing one a year that's plenty there's a lot of money to get throw at toys these days everybody's in the game and everybody's trying to make their buck so even if you're, you've only got one ready for 2019, great. Some of us could appreciate the time to get our, our finances in order. But it just, yeah, it's just, it's so much. And it seems like they're just trying to get everything and they're going to come away with nothing. I swear that the price point was not what killed Unicron. It was the distribution to put something that fantastic and make it unavailable to half your fan base. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That was the first thing I questioned. I said, wait a second. Cause I knew remembering from the sale bar, I said, well, that wasn't shipped internationally. So I, when I saw Unicron, I said, well, they're not going to not ship it internationally. All the, you know, half the fans are in Asia. And then right. I look and I'm like, Oh, good job. Great. Great. Good stuff. Smart. Smart idea, guys. Yeah. I hope we're wrong. I hope they both find their magic spring of, of followers who are just waiting till the last minute. But, man, that's a, that's a serious hole to climb out of in, in both cases. And if they fail, I guarantee you there's a ripple effect to it. Yeah. Which yeah. is the, the real shame of it. Yeah. So. If, if Unicron funds and Cookie Monster fails, you'll see another HasLab project. But I think... 100% if they both failed, you're not going to see it. I mean, shoot, look at it this way. They said Hascon was successful, yet you didn't have one in 2018, and then you canceled the one in 2019. So what does that really tell you? Mm -hmm. Are they are they really serious about this kind of stuff? And that's that's what I, I see when I like see this stuff. I'm like, they don't seem serious about it. They did blurbs at Comic-Con and has real pulse and like that's it like okay well you're just gonna hope all these people come out of the woodwork and fund this thing it's, yeah. if, if that's what you're waiting for it's not gonna happen but we'll see yeah so the news is once again an uplifting sequence of bits <laughs> but we'll move on to the next one which will undoubtedly be mark weber's favorite of the night it's time for the gi joe snake eyes news dump <laughs> okay hey, at least at least there is news that's true and there there's been right? a lot of it just in the last week to 10 days last time we talked it was principal photography is scheduled for eh, sometime this fall yeah it was tough <laughs> last time which, we did an episode I, new, news called, was a little scarce i called bs on and i should give it up that you know what looks like it's actually happening yep so we have a, a, a score of little snippets, and we'll cover through them one at a time. And undoubtedly, before we get this thing out, there will be more snippets that we 
just didn't get to in time for airing. So it always works out this way. We'll finish recording an episode, and within the next 48 hours, something major will happen in the world of G.I. Joe that we in, then are, by rule, late for the next time. Weird Al is Cobra Commander. Yeah. We don't do fast-breaking news at What's on Joe Mind. We do in-depth analysis. That's Slow that's, burn. That's right. We, you, we know you're coming here for educated takes. Or the Hollywood power brokers go, oh, man, they just taped What's on Joe Mind. Let's change something. Hey, you know what? We're big in Vancouver. The corridors of power <laughs> shake when they hear What's on Joe Mind is uh, assembling. Both California and Rhode Island, if you break down our downloads by state, California and Rhode Island are consistently in the top five. So weird. Yeah. Strange, Hello, boys. Huh? Howdy. Bobby, say hey to the old folks. Hey. <laughs> so anyways, first Snake Eyes news bit here is that the film website hnentertainment.com is reporting that G.I. Joe Snake Eyes is scheduled to film from October 15 to December 9 in Vancouver, British Columbia, with some filming taking place in other sites as well. A casting is said to be taking place in late summer, and there's more on that a little bit further down the list. So, yeah, I guess that's a follow-up confirmation from last episode when we argued about whether or not this was actually happening or not. Andrew Lee, who is known for his work in Pacific Rim, Star Trek Beyond, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, has been added as the art director for the project. Kamani Ray Smith, known for the Deadpool movies and Woo Assassins, has been added as stunt coordinator, and that's good news. Not to correct you, but I think it's actually pronounced Woo! Woo! Assassins. That's the Rick Flair movie. Tully and Arn and... (laughs) Boyan Bozzelli, known for A Cure for Wellness and Mr. and Mrs. Smith has been added as cinematographer. And according to HN Entertainment, Robert Schwenke is still listed as the director, which does conflict with some other sources, but I haven't seen anything else that lists a new director. So safe to say that, I mean, he's the director until somebody specifically says that he's not, right? Yeah. Still the guy. We, we even made jokes about it going back to our panel at, at Ohio Toy and Comic Show that there was no director. Well, we could have been wrong on that one because nobody's been listed as a different director, so what have you. Now the big news of the last week. Henry Golding, best known for his turn in Crazy Rich Asians and in Last Christmas, has been cast, according to The Hollywood Reporter, as Snake Eyes. The article does simply state that he's been cast as a lead role, but the rap.com stated that Golding was in talks to play the lead Ninja Commando, which is to say he's Snake Eyes in G.I. Joe Snake Eyes. This, of course, caused all kinds of tooth gnashing because it's a toy fandom, and toy fandoms have nothing better to do than criticize these sorts of things. But you guys, you have any issues with Henry Golding as Snake Eyes? Now, I'm not familiar with him, but it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I don't understand why decisions are made to change from source material. So, obviously, in the comics, Snake Eyes was a Caucasian gentleman but we never knew his name or his nationality but he was basically drawn that way so they're going in a in a different direction with uh with him so it's it's fine i'm not mad or happy about it either way so it's it's fine the whole snake eyes movie thing it's i'm a betting man and i would bet that this movie's still not getting made 
So it's funny to see, you know, all the news come out, people get, you know, excited about it, but I still don't think it's going to get made. I was part of the brand where I saw delays after delays and I see how the company is treating the brand and how serious they actually are about actually making something. So how many movies have you seen where they picked actors and directors or got far enough along? Look at, uh, what was it? Justice League Dark or something like that. It's they, they had Army Hammer fitted for the Batman costume and that movie didn't get made. And that's Warner Brothers, bigger studio. So I'm definitely still skeptical. I'm also skeptical that it's whatever it is, it's not going to be good. You know, you can't have two terrible movies and then one good movie. So the other thing I, I was listening to Chris McCloud show and they were talking about the casting and thing was said officially that he's playing snake eyes. So I'm almost wondering if he's being targeted, but targeted for storm shadow and not snake eyes. So because nothing official has come out from his camp, from Paramount, from Hasbro, none, none of that. It, this was just like Hollywood reporters type stuff. So I'm a little skeptical if he's actually playing Snake Eyes. So we'll we'll see on that front. I think there are worse things than having uh, an up-and-coming Hollywood actor with momentum attached to your series, especially if if your series has been ice cold for a while. I do like source material. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who says that Idris Elba is fantastic, but he can't be Ian Fleming's James Bond. If you cast him as Bond, that's not Ian Fleming's James Bond anymore. So, and the, and the way they, they seem to be treating this in Hollywood is the right way, I think, that anybody can be 007. 007 is a title, but James Bond is an actual person. And so... For me, with Snake Eyes, I love the original origin story. It's so good. But you can't do a modern Snake Eyes movie and have him cut his teeth in the jungles of Vietnam. It just doesn't work. From a time perspective, you know, if he has U.S. military experience, it's going to have to be Afghanistan or Iraq. And I'm okay with that. That's, you know, it's not just contemporizing it. It's making it believable from a timing standpoint. The race issue on casting, I think he's technically, Henry Golding is half Malaysian, half British. So, you know, I, I think you have to be careful when you, when you say what race of person they're casting. For me with Snake Eyes, man, once he gets on the mask, it doesn't matter. And if you think it's Henry Golding who's going to be doing flip kicks and fighting off 50 red ninjas on screen, uh, I tend to doubt it. So once the mask is on, I don't think it matters. I guess I'm a little bit ambivalent to it one way or the other. Bobby and I both got burned in significant ways by the consistent delays to G.I. Joe 3. So <laughs> it's... The fact that the know, three of us are sitting uh, here on I'm, this podcast talking about it speaks to that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like Iron Man said to Captain America, well, you're a very polite person. Yeah, this is always going to be a raw wound for both me and Bobby. And it is hard for both of us to believe that this is actually moving forward. Even though all the news finally seems to be pointing in that direction. Man, I joined the Joe Brand in September of 2014. 
And G.I. Joe 3 was supposed to be in theaters September 2016. That's the start of this road that has us where we are today. So like everything, Joe, I hope it does well. But obviously I have significant reservations. Again, the track record is there. Certainly you guys have said that. Let's take everything that, that happened so far on the surface as valid, okay? As you said, Mark, you have to contemporize Snake Eyes' story for a modern audience. This movie isn't really being made for us. This movie is being made for people who were 30 years of age and under that never really had G.I. Joe as an influence in their young lives. They just kind of know it as this thing that Dad was into and every so often disappears down in the basement to mess around with and relive his, his glory years back in the day. So G.I. Joe is just kind of this thing. It's, it's this nebulous idea, so to speak, and they have to bring that to a new audience. And to do that, you have to make changes. You can cast whoever is Snake Eyes. It's just important that Snake Eyes is an American, I think. I think that's the one thing you can't change about him. I think the great part of the Snake Eyes story is that he was an American soldier who went off to parts unknown into what was perceived as, in the 80s, the heart of the enemy. We did not have warm, fuzzy feelings for Japan in the early 1980s. They were killing our manufacturing. They were seen as this this evil corporate giant that was taking all of our jobs. Well, he went off to that place and figured out ways to become a better soldier and a better person and, by proxy, a better American. So that's part of the great part of the Snake Eyes story. And so long as they keep that element to it, you can mess around with some of the specifics. So does it bother me that a non-Caucasian person has been cast to play that role? No, not in the least. I'm going to at least give him the chance to be bad in a movie before I criticize him for being in a movie. (laughs) I think you make a really good point there, Mike. And and something I hadn't thought about or had forgotten about is part of the value of an American Snake Eyes going to a Japanese ninja dojo is that it legitimizes the turn of Storm Shadow. Because I've always felt, you know, an action movie is never better than its villain. The villain is actually more important than the hero. So your Magnetos and your Hans Grubers and this is what you need. And you need to you don't agree with them, but you need to understand them. The the worst of the Bond villains who rub their hands together and want to rule the world or destabilize the money system or I mean, come on, who really wants to do that? But the idea that Storm Shadow is, <laughs> pardon the pun, the fair-haired son, the heir, the future of the Arashikage clan, and he offers a home to his broken-hearted soldier brother, and then that guy actually surpasses him in skill and takes his birthright from him. Like, I get it. Storm Shadows, I am all set for Storm Shadow to be the big bad for Snake Eyes forever. I get it. And if he's not American, you take one good chunk out of that story and out of the motivation that makes Storm Shadow, at least as we first got to know him, as a tragic villain, which is the best kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it took a great deal to continue on through Larry's story. It took a great deal of personal growth for Storm Shadow to let that go. 
and come back to the, the side of the angels, so to speak. So there's a lot of layers there. And look, this movie happens. I'm going to go see it. I'm probably going to buy a copy of it. That's just what we do when we're fans, right? That said, we're probably going to be done with three G.I. Joe movies by this point, two years from now. And I'm still going to maintain that the best format for G.I. Joe in visual medium will always be television. Because <laughs> here we are, we're talking about this grand sweeping origin story for this character who left an indelible mark in popular culture. And we're, you're just not going to condense that down to two hours and get anything that makes the mark acceptable right. to all the, the fans that have been there. So, yeah, I'm going to be the optimist in this group, and my bar is still pretty low for the quality of this project. Again, I hope it's popular. I don't even need it to be good. I need people to like it anyway. Make a fun movie with a bunch of ninjas. Whatever it was that you captured when you had a bunch of ninjas fighting on a cliffside, do right. that. Do that a lot. And I think the Joe movies get swept into the garbage bin a little too casually. They did make money. And the second one made quite a bit of money internationally. Yeah. Now, I think they lost their walk-up audience, which they had for the first one because the first one was so poor. But these made money. Paramount wouldn't be financing them if they didn't believe it was going to make money. And I would get that way with Star Wars fans over uh, episode one. Fans would say episode one was straight garbage. Hated it start to finish. I'm like, really? You hated Darth Maul? You hated that saber fight on the mirrored floor with the yeah, the double fight, the fight with – I mm -hmm. mean. There's the two Jedi versus Maul, mm -hmm. and then he separates them and fights them both. That's still, to me, visually, best saber fight in the entire Star Wars saga. Oh, no so question. there's parts of the Joe movies that absolutely worked, and the cliff race against the Red Ninjas is, an ex is a perfect example of that. So we just need more of the good stuff. Yeah. And less weigh-ins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Poor Marlon. He didn't do nothing wrong. He's just doing his job. Yeah, I don't blame him, I guess. It's not his fault. He was perfectly good in a terribly written movie. I'm not going to blame the cast for the failure of Rise of Cobra. Strong cast, bad writing. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, man. Other than the what they saddled the Baroness with in backstory that didn't make sense... <laughs> Sienna Miller is the Baroness? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah. The next one is, today, according to HNE enter or HNEntertainment.com, Paramount is auditioning, quote, both known and unknown actresses, end quote, to play the Baroness. I think that's a small role for this movie. I think if we're going to do the, the Ninja Dojo origin of Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow type of thing here, then Baroness is just somebody who shows up at the end to enlist the aid of Storm Shadow and potentially Zartan, because he's involved in that part of the story, certainly. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. No, I'm all you for know, it. As long as she's not in it for an hour and a half and they're changing a whole bunch of stuff about her. <laughs> cool. <laughs> she's Cobra Commander's I mean, sister and Duke's girlfriend. Girlfriend. And, yeah, and, yeah. And then but she's full of nanobots. As burned as two of us are, by this entire project, as a G.I. Joe fan, when that Snake Eyes trailer comes out, as speaking as, you know, the eternal optimist, don't you want 
a quick shot of a badass looking Baroness in all that leather, just walking across the screen for a second, so you can go, oh my god! Yeah. You know, think of imagine, think about the feeling you had on that Super Bowl Sunday when the first GI Joe trailer dropped, and how excited you were for the bits of it that looked good because that's all we knew at the time, right? Mm-hmm. When Sienna Miller walked out of that car with the jet black hair, every one of us went hot damn. I think they got the Baroness right. So let's hope for that feeling again and better execution. Bobby, you've been quiet. No, I I like hearing uh, Mark's kind of optimism. I'm (laughs) envious of it because I, you know, I sit here and I'm just like, this is, you know, yes, we were both burned, but it's like. I can't have any faith in in something like this. Yes, I will get excited for a trailer and I will go see a movie and but I still believe this movie is not going to get made. If the um, name of the studio was Hasbro Studios, <laughs> I would put more credence in that line of thinking, but the name of the studio is Paramount. So, we may get a bad movie, but I have a feeling yeah. we're going to get a movie. Yeah. We may also get a good movie. I, I really, I sincerely hope that we get a good movie. It, it doesn't have to be a great movie. Hobbs and Shaw is out there right now. It's a terrible movie. Uh, it is a god awful movie, but damn it, it's a lot of fun. If we get that. Oh, <laughs> you're, you're hurting me here, Mike. <laughs> Look, stuff's blowing up. There's helicopters, there's semi trucks. Uh, it's got the rock. Here's a, a segue and a short story. When I was recovering from my surgery back in 2013, one of my best friends from high school flew out to Rhode Island to spend a week with Webb. And it was outstanding to spend a week with one of my very best friends. And he brought 800 movies with him and video games. And he was the, you know, the master of the show. He was the MC. He was the ringmaster. And the first thing he said was, have you seen Fast and the Furious 6? And I looked up at, at my buddy Chris and I said, with as much sarcasm as you can drip off of words, you know, Chris, I've managed to avoid the first five. And that 3-0 and fastball went right by him. And he said, okay, cool. And he shoved this thing in the DVD player or in the Blu-ray and... You know, this is my boy, and he just traveled a couple thousand miles to spend a week with me and, you know, help me out. So what can I say? And I sat through this thing, this two-hour monstrosity, near as I can tell, 90 minutes of which was spent speeding down a runway on a plane. (laughs) Now, I don't know, you know, what runway actually goes for 90 minutes, Unless you're passing Keanu Reeves in a bus on it. But <laughs> come on. The fact that Fast and the Furious is in episode 28 or whatever is one of the things that makes me saddest about the world right now. The combined amount of sense that is made in the first eight of those movies, plus Hobbs and Shaw, is maybe five minutes. Ugh. My son is finally old enough to watch the Blues Brothers. So that was a big moment this summer. Mm. And there's a part, you remember when the Bluesmobile is trapped on the bridge and it just does a backflip? Yep. And it was hysterical because it was ludicrous. Mm-hmm. That's in the opening minute of Fast and the Furious 112. Yeah. It's, like, it's, we're going to barrel roll a tank 
through a helicopter. It's 120 Ooh. minutes of It'll the backflipping awesome. bluesmobile. Ugh. Well, you know what I think happened? The difference between Fast and Furious and, and G.I. Joe. What happened was they cast, you know, these good-looking men. But they should have given G.I. Joe like a Magic Mike-type storyline. Like if you had Channing with like no shirt on for like 90% of the movie or The Rock taking off his shirt like every five minutes, I bet G.I. Joe would have done better. But it was like, people were like, wait, so you cast these heartthrobs and they're not taking off their shirt? Like, okay. Well, yeah, no guy's going to get his girlfriend to go see this movie with him. But it's like Fast and Furious. It's like, sure. I just like, sure. Look, those movies did well. <laughs> That's got to tell you something. Look, the retaliation trailer did have that, though. They, they, there was a scene. It didn't actually make the final movie. But there, oh, yeah. the scene in the bar where it's it, the Rock and Duke and Flint are, are just hanging around and none of them have their shirt on. They're bobbing for beer cans or something. I forget. It's been a while. Yeah, that was in the trailer. It wasn't in the actual movie. It, they've played that card. See? For the record, Mark, Fast and Furious 3 had the subtitle Tokyo Drift. And this is a fact. This is not something I'm making up right this second. Since that movie came out, it was so bad. It's one of the. I've only seen two of those movies, and that's one of them. That movie is so bad and not fun, mind you, that anytime I'm sick, like I'm having a stomach problem, and I have a third bowel movement in a day, that is referred to as suffering the Tokyo Drift. That's awesome. So, that reminds me of an old Letterman gag where they he dialed a number and it said, Welcome to Movie Phone. Showtimes for Princes Under the Cherry Moon are at 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and 11 o'clock p.m. Refunds for Under the Cherry Moon are at 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and midnight. <laughs> Remember Movie Phone? My God, we're old. <laughs> Welcome to Movie Phone. Oh. Anyhow, I'm glad that the, the coming generation will never know the pain of sitting that through the movie, the movie phone menu. Especially, One day I'm going to have to tell my son what 1-800-COLLECT was. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, Mason, listen, uh, when Daddy needed a ride home from Grandpa, what he would do is call this number and say, at the ice rink, need a ride home, and then hang up. And then he would come get me. It was like magic. <laughs> <laughs> we have one last movie bit, and that's that. Uh, here we are talking about a third G.I. Joe movie, and rumors are abound of a fourth one. Here is a Chuckles movie treatment that is making the round in the rumor mill. Again, according to The Hollywood Reporter... Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec, known for the recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and the TV show Alias, are working on a script for Paramount that could be a separate project from G.I. Joe Snake Eyes. The project is considered to be in the very early stage of pre-production, so anything can happen. It is rumored to revolve around Chuckles as the main character. So, okay. Rumors of this project being at the casting stage busted out. They are unequivocally false. They are nowhere close to, to anything like that. Again, this is a script that's being worked on, and those things, Bobby, you're talking about things getting getting into to pre-production and production and getting shut down. Scripts get worked on all the time and never see the light of day. 
sometimes scripts that people pay a good chunk of money for get finished, they get greenlit, they get tossed in a vault and never seen again. So everybody needs to chill out on the Chuckles movie right now. When stuff starts to come out about that thing going, great. Promise you it's not going to be for another year, year and a half at least. Yeah. Let's to, if to ever. keep this in, in perfect context. I left Hasbro in April 2017. I read a portion of an early version of this script. There you go. So I'm sure it's nothing like whatever form it's in now is probably nothing like what I was privy to. But this may be new news in the in public, but this is not new news. If that makes sense. Yeah. You go back to the days before Rise of Cobra, and I remember all the movie rumors that would float through about these scripts that were getting treatments. And My favorite failed movie script idea was the one that had the Joes celebrity soldiers back in the 1980s, and then they get cryogenically frozen and thawed out somewhere around 2000. And while there's a dark part of my soul that secretly wants to see that movie... I'm very, very happy that it never got made. You know what it was called? It was called Endgame, ironically. <laughs> wow. <laughs> or Demolition Men, maybe. Oh, this is why you're in the guest host rotation, Mark. You're so good with the callback. <laughs> That's it. Remember that time? Oh, God. <laughs> hey, and, and just, you know playing devil's advocate a little bit there the best well there aren't a whole lot of chuckles stories but if you want to do chuckles chuckles is a is a last laugh netflix series just waiting to happen 100 percent. oh because most of that phenomenal storyline was done in rooms and in hallways and and yeah a gigantic underground subterranean submarine lair but most of it can be done on a relatively low budget mm. and it's a brilliant story and it's definitely adult. And uh, you know what? I, it, this is not something that I'm only pitching to you guys. I beat the drum for this like crazy and can't imagine why. Well, I can't imagine why, but it makes so much sense. It hurts my heart that it hasn't gotten done. And I want to remind the Joe fans Chuckles wasn't cool until Last Laugh. Definitely. He was the Hawaiian shirt undercover guy, right? Who threw missiles with his bare hands. Okay, so Last Laugh is what made Chuckles cool. So even if this is a thousand percent true, he's not going to look like Chuckles. And he's certainly not going to be named Chuckles. So just be careful with that. Such a great character and such a such a bad code name i just don't i don't get it i never understood chuckles never i mean i understood chuckles i just never understood the name chuckles like we were just we had nothing else there's not a, there's, Larry. when that figure came out the little baby mark weber was super hyped about it for one reason only first actual usable shoulder holster well that's true the hey there was a lot going on there you can even take the rest of that Chuckles body and make your own G.I. Joe Thomas Magnum. You know, whatever. Just with the right head. Yeah, just take some alcohol and get the Boston Red Sox logo off of the cutter head. 
Get a little Detroit Tigers logo on there instead. Good to go. That's not bad. But, or uh, or Chief Hopper, if you want to Stranger Things it. No, I don't. I've, I haven't seen Stranger Things. Ooh, that's have, a miss. I don't have Netflix. I don't have Netflix. Well, it's on DVD. I, I have Hulu and Prime, and I don't have enough time in the day to watch what's on them. So why would I get Netflix? Uh, yeah, I, I get that, but fi- find a way to to see season one. It's outstanding. Well, that said about Netflix, I still say with what's been done for Voltron and She-Ra and upcoming with He-Man, where is the G.I. Joe cartoon? Yep. If nothing else, I want a movie to get made so that in the aftermath, that can happen while there's still some heat attached to the property. There's enough momentum to say to for somebody at Hasbro to say, "Hey, why don't we pitch a Netflix series?" Yep, that Voltron show got Voltron on Walmart and Target shelves, if I recall. So yeah, yeah, they were they were phenomenal. They were they were well done. The Shira series, I believe, is really at the core of what's going to be going on with Masters of the Universe over the next couple of years. My daughter's nine, and she adores that, that Shira series. So. Yeah. It's pushing the right buttons. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it. I cannot offer you any commentary on the show itself, but I I see what its success is doing for a franchise that was similarly moribund. Think of what's going on with He-Man, right? That's what's going on with G.I. Joe, too. There's some, there's some very strong parallels there. And I have a feeling that in the next couple of years, He-Man's going to be red hot. And with any luck, hey, maybe G.I. Joe will come back and knock him off his perch again. I was always more of a Beast Man guy. Yeah, I don't like He Man. I don't. I don't oh, care right. for. No, I didn't like He Man, but Beast Man was a redhead, like <laughs> significantly. <laughs> he was a, so a, a redhead part, with a body part, hair problem. He's part of the tribe. It's only a problem if you don't like the color. That's why he rocks. All right. Next news item. And this is something where I know you guys will have some input as well. The GI Joe Collectors Club is officially out of business. The long-anticipated closure of the G.I. Joe Collectors Club happened, took last last day for taking orders was, we're, we're recording this on the 20th, it was back last Friday, which I believe was the 16th. Any orders made in the last few weeks will be sent out and should be received by the end of this month. Rest in peace, G.I. Joe Collectors Club. Your thoughts, Bobby Vala? You know, it's sad. Look at how long the club was operating for. And I know that the club got a lot of flack for things, but at the end of the day, G.I. Joe fans are a very fickle bunch, man. So it's a, I have a a lot of mixed feelings. It's, you know, it's unfortunate because I worked on a lot of last few FSS years. So, you know, I would have loved to have kept doing more. I feel like there's definitely more figures that could be done. Joe Con was a great success. You know, Joe Fest is a nice kind of counter to it, but Joe Con was, it was a staple. You know, love him or hate him, it was the only thing you were getting. For a licensee, they were doing a damn good job. Daryl, Mark, and I get, you know, they, they, we worked with the club and they, they had free reign and they did what they did and they did a, a pretty bang up job for a small group of guys just working with the constraints that they had. And, you know, they had a lot of freedom to do some cool stuff, and they did do some cool stuff. In my Joe room on each wall, it's like I have all the eras of Joe. So it's like one wall's a real American hero. One wall is 
25th through modern day. And then one wall is all club. And it's amazing to look at the depth that the club did for so many years. And it's they, they got some really, really great product out there. and Definitely more good than bad, for sure, by far. Yeah, they caught flack, and maybe some of it was was unnecessary. Some of it was, you know, maybe they weren't the greatest at dealing with the fans. But at the end of the day, they gave us GI Joe product, and they gave us GI Joe product for years. At the end, where Hasbro wasn't giving any product, so it's unfortunate to see it go away because that means Joe product hasn't been on the shelves since I think 2015, 2016. So now with the club gone, there's really going to be a lull of no G.I. Joe product. I know Loyal Subjects does stuff, but in the grand scheme of things, regular action figures, that there's going to be nothing. And now it's like, wow, it's ending. It's too bad. It really is. But I enjoyed every bit of time that I spent working with those guys. Thankful to Brian and Lanny and Dave for letting me come on board and do as much as I did for the time that I did it. That was great. So that, that's basically my thoughts on it. And they did take a lot of flack, and a, a ton of that is just because it was net-based and everything mm-hmm. on the internet skews so negative. But those guys really, really cared about the brand, and I think that yeah. got lost a lot. They knew the brand, they cared about it, they wanted it to do well, and yeah, they made mistakes, and, and some of the bigger ones were absolutely self-inflicted. So I'm not saying blanket cheer the club but they turned out some really credible product at a time when hasbro was not turning out much and sometimes no product and for everybody who rails against the club online if i offered them their purchase price back for their entire club based collection there's not one of them that would take me up on that they like they by and large they like what they got and the 10% that they had to buy because it was part of a two-pack or part of a set or something is what they post about. And this is I'm not talking about all Joe fans. I think it's dangerous when you talk in generalities. But the people who bash the club regularly, by and large, I believe, enjoyed the product they had back at home. And one of the things that I learned when I worked for McFarland Toys, remember McFarland Toys had hosted web pages, message boards on their own homepage where they got tarred and feathered by angry fans daily. And it was part of my job to play Lion Tamer on that board. And when I would go to shows, people would come up to me and say, hey, Webb. And the only way they'd know me is from that message board. And I'd say, hey, how you doing? Uh, what's your name? And they'd name it. I'd, I'd, sometimes I'd know him, sometimes I wouldn't. And I'd say, do you know me from the message board? And they say, yeah. I mean, like 90% of the fans I met and the people I met said, I read every day, but I never post. Those people are animals. So <laughs> so that helped keep me sane when I was fighting the good fight daily, knowing, you know, the old iceberg thing, that most of the people reading are actually pretty content and just not voicing it. Because if you give a product an A+, you'll post about it. And if you give a product a C minus or lower, you'll probably post about it. But the C's and the B's and the A minuses, nobody ever talks about those because no one posts and says, yeah, it was pretty good. It's about what I expected. I'm glad I spent money on it. It's boring. Nobody posts that. So 
I don't think the club got nearly enough credit for the stuff they turned around and the stuff they turned out on a regular basis for a very, very long time. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the negativity they got was related to cost, and it was from people that didn't understand how much it cost to produce what they did. Yeah. I, I think there is a substantial part of the Internet community that back in 1982, they saw G.I. Joe's on the Toys R Us shelf and that the orange tag on it said $2.23, and that number has never gotten out of their head. Yeah, people didn't understand that. Hasbro does huge runs, so their cost is X. Well, the lower in quantity you go, the more that cost goes up. So it's like the club is doing such small runs, and that's why their costs were so much higher. Cost per figure will be exponentially higher for a run of 5,000 figures versus a Hasbro run of 100,000 figures. And Bobby said it, you know, there's the Holy Trinity there from Dave and Lanny and, and Brian. And I think they did a very good job. And I know they tried their very, very hardest. I don't think any of them got enough credit for how important they were in keeping the brand floating for years. So yeah, kudos to you guys. And I think you are more beloved than you know. Absolutely. It was, it was a job well done and nobody bats a thousand. Lord knows we've had runs on this show where we've been critical of some of their product. But we've also had lots of times on this show where we were absolutely expounding on the love of their product. Even up to the very end, they hit some home runs, even in the last 12, 18 months that they were in operation. And that's tough to do when the BotCon half of things is already gone and taking with it at least half of your revenue streams. So kudos to them. I I think it was the two extra years we got with them at the end there were great for the Joe Cons. I think they they probably for those guys were a bigger headache than they let on in terms of continuing to put out other product. The club was always good to this show and we owe them a a big amount of gratitude for that. The panels that we got to do at Joe Con they don't happen unless Brian and Dave and Lanny say okay. It's not like we just showed up and bust the door open and said, hey, we're What's on Joe Mine. We're a big podcast on G.I. Joe. We talked to John Chu. Let us on stage now. No, it, that doesn't work that way. They were great about letting us have some fun, and we did our best to make sure that they were part of the fun and not the butt of the joke. And we will always owe them a debt of gratitude just for the exposure, just for the letting us share the, the sandbox for the short time that we did over the course of, of their main event, their weekend. 45 minutes out of a weekend doesn't sound like much, but when you're paying that kind of money for that kind of time and space, and then you're letting us have it for nothing, yep, that's a big deal. And so, you know, my personal thanks go to those guys for, for that exposure and for all of the great product that they gave us over the years and for the great events that they threw with all the Jokons. And hopefully uh, the, the seeds were certainly planted for Joe Fest to take over. It's a different feel. We talked about it some in our wrap-up show for Joe Fest. There's a little bit more of a renegade feel after years and years and years of puffing our chests out because we were at the official Joe Con. It was kind of different and a little bit fun to be at the unofficial Joe Con. <laughs> but, you know, not having an official Joe Con is it's something. You already feel the absence of them to a certain extent. There's an official power con for, for He-Man, and there's an official pony con for, for My Little Pony fans. And 
well, you know, we've got Hascon coming, right? Yeah, coming, <laughs> coming right up. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that one. Hold to my breath. Yeah, that one didn't work out for us so good, and it saddens me that the, the G.I. Joe Collectors Club was, was sacrificed for the Hascon experiment and that they're abandoning that Hascon experiment so callously. So, again, kudos to the G.I. Joe Collectors Club. It's certainly a, a whole lot more wins than losses and a ton of great times and nothing but love for those guys in the future. Short story on Brian Savage. After I left Hasbro, I joined a little toy company up near Boston called Toy State, and the president was an ex-Hasbro employee that I had not worked with named Andy Fries. And we got to talking about who we knew, mutual friends and stuff. And he said, yeah, did you know I'm Dragonski? And I'm like, no, I didn't know, because I particularly like Dragonski. He's my favorite October Guard guy. And he said, yeah, that's my head. And then it occurred to me, the file name is Andre Frysoff, I think. And so that was when he was working at Hasbro. He <laughs> got immortalized as a figure, but he didn't have one. And that Dragonski is pretty valuable figure, right? Mm. So I reached out to Brian. Now, this is two months after I've left Hasbro. I'm not going to be able to do Brian any favors ever moving forward. But I have a boss, and it would be a great way to start the new gig to deliver him the Dragonski figure he never got that he's the name and the head for. And so I just asked him, if you have one loose, you know, doesn't matter. If you have one, I'd, it would it would sure help me out to grease the skids with the new boss. And he said, Webb, I'll have it to you by the end of the week. And he absolutely did. Didn't have to do it. You know, on some level, he knew the club was winding down and that, that Dragonski figure was going to land him a couple hundred bucks eventually in a mm -hmm. closeout sale. But for the work I did for them and the friendship that we have, he sent it to me. Quickly, no problem, Webb. Hope all is well. So I appreciate that. That's very cool. And the boss liked it. Well, you better. Yeah. I mean, you know, they made a G.I. Joe after me. And I only got two rooms in this apartment, and one of them would be that character. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so, yeah, you better. A, what's that saying? Don't look a gift Dragonski in the mouth? Absolutely. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I got that in a fortune cookie once. <laughs> I got don't lick the version one Zartan. That, yeah, you know, that's good advice, too. That's a quality cookie right there. That, that cookie knows what it's talking about. I don't even know who that was, but that was in some guy's SIG file, I think, on his tank years <laughs> ago. In all caps, don't lick the version one Zartan. Uh, nobody prints that unless they did it. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Did it once, but not twice. <laughs> Next news item. There have been more character reveals for the upcoming and brand new G.I. Joe comic. Paul Aller, who you can hear on the, the most recent special edition that we put out. At this point, it would be last week on special edition 63. But Paul Aller has revealed the last two members of his street team for the new IDW series. And they are Frontier and Fadeaway. They don't join Tiger, Jinx, and Roadblock in the unit of trainees under the command of Duke, Scarlet, and others. Picks are available on IDW's Facebook and Instagram feeds, as well as Paul Aller's personal feed on Twitter. But we'll start with the first, or, or rather, I don't want to say the first, it's really the only 
800-pound gorilla in the room. That Frontier guy looks familiar. <laughs> I like it. It's just starting from kind of jump. Joe team needs new blood. So I love that there's new characters, but Frontier doesn't seem terribly unique. And when I first saw it, uh, Bobby, I thought of you and I went, man, did Bobby buy Flint? Did Bobby (laughs) nab another trademark here? That would be awesome. Because, I mean, I'm not saying it's a troll job, but it is obviously, this is not a mistake, right? It's got the berets, got the black shirts, got the handheld shotgun. His po- he's even posing in Flint's file card pose. Yes. So this is not a mistake. Right? I saw Correct. you know some fans like, oh my god, he doesn't even know the brand. Like, no, I think he knows the brand really well. No, he knows and exactly so, what he's doing with it. Yeah. So I dug it. I dug it like crazy. The only thing Frontier is hurting is Fadeaway, the other new Joe. Because ain't nobody talking about Fadeaway. I heard the, the one thing I saw, somebody said it looked like Hank Hill became a Joe. <laughs> That's terrible. Or no, probably Bobby, right? <laughs> yeah. Probably Bobby. Probably <laughs> yeah. Bobby. But that, that is Rashford kind of the issue with, with Fadeaway there. Fadeaway doesn't look like anything we've seen before. Whereas Frontier is basically Flint if Flint were from Afghanistan. As far as, as what I understand. We've covered how much fans love changing nationalities and, and races of characters already, so I don't want to get back to that particular drum solo. For everybody who's just out there being negative, at least read it and find out if it's a bad comic before you start bagging it as a bad comic. Amen. In the meantime, let's, let's get excited that IDW has decided to take our favorite franchise and expand it. And then again, expand it some more. Really, this winter, we're going to have three G.I. Joe titles to buy. Not bad. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, I don't know if the backlash was there, but it would have seemed pretty ludicrous to go, hey, they're going to make a second Joe comic. Really? Okay. Who's the lead? Chuckles. And eh, one of the best Joe storylines ever. Yeah, turned out pretty good. It's okay to be skeptical. But, you know, everybody should get at least a fresh chance. Exactly. Skepticism is fine. Be respectful in your criticisms. Don't be a dick. As Gary would would say, (laughs) D-bad. But at the same time, just at, at least ride the ride and find out if you enjoy it before you just burn the roller coaster to the ground, would you? Just thinking, I like that saying. Ride the ride before you bring the roller coaster to the ground. I like that. I'm going to use that one right. from now on. You can, you can have that. That's free Thanks. of charge. Well, you know I'm going to trademark it now because I steal everything, right? That's it. Look, I would consider that an <laughs> honor. I dare say the, the only payment that I would require is that my name would get to be a file name for a member of Action Force. Or better, sure. yet, a, better yet, a bad guy. It's so, it's so weird that they're all from Bend, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> I never trusted that town. Some bad characters up there. Bobby, where's Bone Collector from? I have to look at his file card. It's I, I don't know off the top of my head. He's from Tucson. Right. Yeah. Where the University of Arizona sort of has classes. Just saying. They have classes sometimes. Go Devils. When everybody's not so hung over to go. <laughs> go Devils. <laughs> I would love to make an Action Force character from Oregon, but because of... Uh, 
a certain individual at Hasbro, I can't make them from the same state. So Yeah, I can handle that. Plus, if Oregon was involved in that whole conflict, they'd run that whole thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust those guys from Bend. I assume Carrick's like, we're going to move aggressively, but not Oregon. Not Oregon. No, nope. not, not Oregon. You know why? Well, lava bears. <laughs> Carrick is Tim Roberts, and he knows better. <laughs> Could be. Could be. That means you get defeated with a high jump pit, though. <laughs> I have some Sarlacc thing coming out of there. Yeah, it'll work. <laughs> Next news item. It's pretty amazing we still have news items. But uh, Hasbro announces plans to eliminate plastic packaging starting in 2020 with a complete phase-out by 2022. More details can be found at newsroom.hasbro.com. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Logistically, I don't know how that's actually even going to work. Like, I was reading the article, and they're saying that they're going to get rid of all bubbles, windows. So it's like, okay, well, that means if you're a Marvel Legends collector, is your figure going to be in a closed box? Well, how do you know if you're picking one that doesn't have, like, slanted eyes or off-deco or a tampo's misprinted? That's the whole point of mm-hmm. being able to see your product. So I feel like it's a PR stunt. Hasbro loves their lists. They're, ooh, we're on the top 10 most responsible companies. Or they made the top 50 most ethical companies over the last four years. And I'm like... But wait, you laid off a bunch of people and then promoted a bunch of people after that. So how's that ethical? But that's neither here nor there. So I think it's just a PR stunt that they're doing. They just want to look like, oh, look, look at what we're doing. Look what we're doing. Because in the grand scheme of things, you're never going to be able to do it. It's just not going to be economical. It's not going to be good for your product to not be able to show what is in the box. Yeah, I'm not sure how you eliminate bubbles, but you can make them out of something that is technically not plastic and is still clear. So I could see that happening. But yeah, bubbleless, uh, uh, I find that a little bit hard to believe. Look, figure swapping is such a problem with collector-driven lines that I would be hesitant to buy anything at a store. I would have to do all my toy shopping online. It's really, that, As- that's what it would come down to. Aside I- from actual criminals... Is there anything lower than a figure swapper? I mean, really? No. Bad? Ugh. I mean, it is a crime, and it's the pettiest of crimes. Yeah, yeah, I think Web, that's, that's well described. Webb, do you remember the one that I had in my office from the Guardians of the Galaxy set? Sort of. So What'd they do to it? I'll, I'll have to post it because it was one of the things I actually took with when I got laid off. So I did a Guardians of the Galaxy three and three quarter inch five or six pack. It had the whole team in it. And it was a you know big square window box, Toys R Us exclusive. Well, my buddy sends me a picture one day. He goes, dude, check this out. And it's literally the biggest hodgepodge of eras of figures and different scales. Like there's a Resident Evil, like five-inch zombie in there. There was a, a G.I. Joe Street Fighter Ryu figure in there. There was... Something else. I just remember it was just the most ridiculous hodgepodge of action figures. And I was like, wow, they actually spent a lot of time finding a bunch of random figures to put in this box and return it to the store. So I told him, I said, buy that. I will give you the money. Send it to me. He ended up just sending it to me. But I thought it was just so hilarious 
that someone would go to those lengths. Like I've seen it done on Legends figures, like a single figure. They'll put like a DC figure or they'll return the figure without the build a figure part. But to take five figures and just replace them with five random figures, I was like, wow, that was ballsy and creative at the same time. So <laughs> it's it a really good example. Think about the time investment to do that, right? For yeah. the cash savings. How low does that guy value his own time? Right? Yeah. Ugh. I love the ones where they don't know enough about what they're swapping in, and they actually put a figure that is more valuable than the one they stole. <laughs> and you don't see those very often, but every once in a while. Anyways, yeah, figure swappers are, are the worst, and I... Oh. Not having windows or bubbles or, or things really complicates policing that. The good part of it is no more of those little plastic ties that are the scourge of your existence when you collect any kind of Joe or Transformers or I'm presuming Power Rangers at this point. Those, those little plastic bindy things, they're gone. They're out as of 2020. Hey, better than the 90s and early 2000s twist ties. Oh, yeah. 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 Mark knows it took you a half hour to get the figure out of the package. Yeah, it was a mess. At least you could see the twist ties, though. I've bought a few Transformers from the Siege line, and every time I think I've just about got them all done and I'm ready to take that thing off that plastic backing, there's one more. Every <laughs> time. That's why it's called Siege. The plastic back refuses to, to let the Transformer cross. The marketing is brilliant. <laughs> You'll not escape this time, Ironhide. I mean, it's no, it's no Combiner Wars, but but I like it. That's <laughs> good stuff. I'm a fan of the Siege line. Absolutely. Next news item. Boop, 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 boop. I know, we've got to be breaking Mark's beep machine there. Right? But, uh, actually, last news item boop, is that uh, boop, boop, our good friend Craig Moore is getting out of the podcasting game. Venerable What's On Joe Mind guest host Craig Moore has ended the Repack podcast after almost six years, which is an impressive run in the podcast world. First episode of Repacked Podcast was published on December 3, 2013. They ran for 265 episodes, plus a few specials, and its unnumbered conclusion, which was published a few days ago on August 14. They also did the reanimated podcast for another a good couple dozen episodes and a couple other side projects. The show featured Craig and any number of co-hosts discussing action figures from all kinds, including former What's On Joe Mind host Greg Schuler for a while last year. Repact was born from the ashes of the original Flooshcast that Craig hosted and ran for several years before Repact. The first of Craig's 11 guest host appearances on What's on Joe Mind was way back on episode 13 back in 2011. Uh, that's before I was a regular part of the show. And perhaps notably, he was part of our interview with G.I. Joe Retaliation Director John M. Chu on Special Edition 28. If you're interested, you can find the archive at repackedpodcast.com. And we make it sound like Craig's dead or something. No, he's fine. He's, he's still <laughs> out there. If you want to follow Craig on Twitter, he's at the Scream Man. But Craig, thank you for all the hard work. Do our best to get you back on this program at some point. I know. God knows we need better guest hosts. Yeah, for real. And see, problem is we got to go all the way to Australia to get them. That was a, a crikey. It was the logistics of it all as to why Craig kind of got phased out. We just never had a time where both of us were conscious. 
that or where all of us were conscious to, to do the program at the same time. It's it's difficult. We'd love to have, say, Dave Tree back on the program. And Dave is like six hours for me, and that's a problem. You can only imagine when it's like, I think today is Tuesday. It's about 10 o'clock p.m. here in St. Louis. I think where Craig Moore is at, it's Thursday at 8 a.m. I, I don't know. I don't, it's, not, I, it's impossible. It's not that big a deal, though. Yeah. Honestly, really, if you just change the backstory, change what country he's from, the fans won't care. <laughs> that's that's it. When we do the the next run of the the repack podcast, Craig will be from Bend, Oregon. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> like Night Fox. And that's the news. Oh goodness. We'd like to take a moment to thank our fine sponsors, AVAX Lab, for high-quality custom heads, weapons, vehicles, and parts for your G.I. Joe figures. Head to AVAXLab.com. It's a great place to get a little head. Roma Collectibles, the official Vagabond Hobo retailer of What's on Joe Mind. Check out RomaCollectibles.com for their convention schedule. Roma Collectibles is an official retailer for Boss Fight Studio. The Finest. The Finest is the largest G.I. Joe cosplay organization in the U.S. and is regularly represented by our own Joe Colton. The Finest has raised over $70,000 for various military assistance organizations. Find out more and pick up some G.I. Joe cosplay tips and guidelines at thefinestcc.com. 3djoes.com, the online home of our own Carson Metaxas, 3djoes.com offers an in-depth look at G.I. Joe from 1982 to 1994. Check out figures, artwork, books, and more at 3djoes.com. All the cool stuff. The official brick-and-mortar retailer of What's on Joe Mind in the UK. All the cool stuff has a huge selection of G.I. Joe, Action Force, Transformers, Lego, and more. Check them out in Fordingbridge or at allthecoolstuff.co.uk. Kokomo Toys. The official brick-and-mortar retailer of What's on Joe Mind in the U.S. Kokomo Toys is your source for G.I. Joe, Funko Pops, Marvel Legends, Boss Fight Studio, and more. Visit their megastore in Kokomo, Indiana, one hour north of Indianapolis, and online at kokomotoys.com. That brings us up to the post sock, and we've broken post sock down into to two categories this time. And then the first regular we will do sock. is Ryan Costello's post sock. Ryan Costello is the king of the post sock, and he's written us enough questions that he gets his own post sock. You want <laughs> your own post sock? Write us questions like Ryan Costello writes us questions. We can be found at what's on Joe Mind at gmail.com. You can also contact us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any number of places. Find us, we'll answer your question. First question, Ryan Costello's post-sock. Most 2000-era Joe adaptations have tried to focus on a smaller team of Joes. The line's cast of 300-odd unique characters may be a bit much, but surely G.I. Joe Renegade's five or six regular members is far too few. What's the ideal size of your G.I. Joe roster? Mark Weber. I actually did a, a presentation on this at Hasbro. Like, there's a reason why it's a team of five. And if you take pretty much anything successful, kid-oriented, at least, you know, boy-focused or targeted, it's kind of a rule of five. And it's leader, rogue, I hate to say it, girl, 
brain or brawn and a kid or comic relief. That's the team that always works. So you can dump, you know, any number of Star Wars or Power Rangers or Joe or Battle of the Planets or whatever you want to do. There's a reason why that five always works. And so I, I wish I still had the, the sheet, but I always thought that uh, and, and a pitch I actually made for a revamped Joe animation is a really tight core team, maybe five people. But there are Joe agents stationed everywhere. When the adventure took them to Britain, they lined up with Big Ben, who was the embedded Joe agent in England. Or when they went to Egypt, that's where Dusty was. And so you got to introduce new Joes all the time. And so fans would get excited, the idea being, as the series rolled on, they would find their own favorites. And now you had embedded Joes all over the world that you could use to help make it a more global force for good. So I think a small team with affiliate agents everywhere is great. It's one of the things I thought the Mask cartoon did better than anybody was at the beginning of the episode, Tracker would go to the computer and go, tell me the agent's best suited for this mission. And if you had a favorite who wasn't on there every week, you were actually, as a kid, clasped-handed, hoping your guy was going to get called for this mission. And I think you can dial into that because, you know, one of the, the huge strengths of a real American hero is the depth of the roster. And I think you want to preserve that but you also need a core team. And so I think that rule of five has been so key for so long that I think it still works today. Bobby. All the points I was going to make, same thing with Mark, because I was sitting here thinking like, okay, well all the teams from back when it's like, yeah, they had the, that team. And my whole thing is five is a good number. I could even go down the four, but the biggest point for me was that, I always wanted to see it changing. Like the best part about watching the Joe cartoons and was like, you know, I liked having Duke there all the time, but it was nice when like a guy got thrown in, you'd always see like maybe two or three new team members each episode. And that was always fun. Cause you know, you wanted your, your core guys, your fan favorites, but I liked seeing the switch kind of like there was always female, but it's like, you had Scarlet one episode, Lady J another episode, CoverGirl another episode. So that was nice. Everything just felt fresh. And because of that depth of character, you got that freshness. It just worked. Snake Eyes was always there, but he was the, you know, the silent guy, but he was awesome. But, you know, you had Duke there for some, Flint there for some. And it was great because like, if you weren't, I was a Duke fan. But if you weren't a Duke fan, it was like, all right, well, you know, I'm not crazy about this episode. But all oh, Flint in the next one. It just allowed you to anticipate or, or like look forward to your favorite character showing up or if you... You had those B or C level characters that showed up really rarely, like, whoa, hit and runs in this episode. Wow, I've never seen hit and run in an episode. So that's, you know, that, that's that's kind of cool to do that. So I think you need that five member team depth to be able to have that variety. Nobody's seen hit and run in an episode. This is true. I just kind of threw that out there. But <laughs> he's he's had to have been in, in an episode before. No. Yeah. No, he has no? missed every incarnation of wow. animated G.I. Joe. He was, and yet, and yet, he's in every fan's top ten, right? Too late. I think it's the the rule of absence on that one. Too late for Sunbow, too early for Deke, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. hasn't been involved in any of the rebirths since then. Has anyone ever put together like a diagram that 
shows what characters were or weren't in episodes? Yes. Really? Yes, and I'd have to dig for it. I would definitely be interested in seeing that. Uh, there's probably 50% or more of the characters that haven't been in episodes. You know, I think if you get down to everybody who's in, been introduced as an original character, I'm sure it's far less than half. When you figure some yeah. of the guys who were around during the Sunbow era still didn't show up on Sunbow cartoons, yeah, it, sure. it's no, without a doubt. I, I kind of go halfway in between you guys. I would like having a small set cast that you knew was going to be on, and I like Mark's, Mark's idea, rather, of having other team members in other parts of the world where you met up with for, for random times. But I'd like it to be bigger than five. I, I think everybody who's a fan of this property could... You ask them who their favorite characters are, and they're rattling off seven or eight of them before they get self-conscious and be like, yeah, I should probably limit it down to three or four. I think having a core team of 10 or 12 is fine, so long as you mix and match them some and, and, and send those that mix and match team off to, to other parts where they meet up with other characters. It, it, I think it all works. I guess the answer to, to that is we like both small teams and large teams. I'm looking at this rule of five thing, man. I was doing some notes right here. Like if you renegades it, it's leader Duke, rogue snake eyes, girl, scarlet brain or brawn roadblock kid or comic relief tunnel rat. Like so much fits into this thing. The funny bit when I, when I actually did it, when you do the original star Wars trilogy, it's leader, Luke, rogue, Han, girl, Leia, brain or brawn, Chewie, Kid or comic relief for the robots, R2 and 3PO. But if you update it for the modern trilogy, the leader is Ray, the rogue is Poe, the girl is Finn. Because girl actually is, sadly, it was usually love interest of the leader. So, and then Chewie is the brain of the brawn, BB-8 as the kid of the comic. Han doesn't make it because he doesn't hang around long enough. But this has worked over and over and over again. And just, you know, throwing it down. You can do it with Avengers. You can do it with Justice League. It works over and over again. And there's, you know, I don't know why it works, but it works. He-Man got a little dicey because it's like leader was He-Man, but he was also brawn. Right. You know? Comic relief was like Orco, Pat, right? Fringer or Orco. And then you had Tila. But, you know, man at arms, what, what was he? He wasn't really... I guess it could be the brain, because he was kind of yeah. he was kind of the cue of the outfit. Like usually, there's one or the other: a guy who's crazy smart or a guy who's crazy strong, and and that's his differentiator from the other heroes. So I'm not sure who the rogue of He-Man was. I was not a He-Man fan at all. So that's one of the few '80s brands that never ever captured my imagination. Blasphemy. Oh. It, you know, it was just that when I watched the animation that I could tell immediately how much of it was recycled. So once I got to like the third episode I ever watched, I was like, I think I've seen half of this episode before. Yeah. So that well, turned you, me, you were, that turned me off. Yeah. You were, you were a little older. See, I wasn't that smart. I wasn't a bright kid. I was like, Ooh, he made a cartoon. And I wasn't, you know, swayed by any of that, but you were like, wait a second, I see through this. Yeah. And I do think he man skewed younger and probably was smart to do that. But I think it doing younger and me being a little bit older meant I just I just missed out on the appeal, mm. except for Beast Man because Redhead. 
<laughs> I, my problems with He-Man are similar to my problems with Voltron in that the narrative is entirely too predictable. Mm-hmm. I was a little kid who was too smart for his own good. And I would sit down and watch Voltron and see these characters have their little scene at the castle, then the problem emerges, then they go to the lions and they fight whatever problem it is as the lions, and they're terrible. And then they fight whatever the problem is, whatever the creature is, as Voltron, and they fight it to a draw. Then they start coming out on the losing end, and then they make the blazing sword, and it's over in three seconds. That's the same thing with He-Man. You have your comedy segment at the beginning, and then whatever problem happens presents itself, and then they all go off and fight the problem, and then He-Man shows up, and it's over in three seconds. Nothing ever beat He-Man. Nothing ever threatened to beat He-Man. There was no drama in He-Man. None. As soon as He-Man shows up, it's over. Even the relaunch they did in the 2000s, that would be a great series if they ever got away from, oh, He-Man shows up, this fight's done. But they never did in that either. Masters is a very interesting line to see. There's lots to look at there. There's lots of cool ideas and and lots of neat-looking characters, and it's this interesting mishmash of medieval and super tech. And there's some things that Masters of the Universe did that nobody's done better since. But He-Man is such a boring, static character that I, I can't get into it. He's that dull. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I knew he was. A, I knew he was a badass though, because he was rocking that haircut, right? Oh yeah. The, I mean, you got to be a badass if you're going to walk around with that haircut. Absolutely. Can't be halfway in on that haircut. That's that's a no, haircut I, that's going to get you in a random fight at least once a week. And his "What's Going On" a lip sync on YouTube is still one of my favorite things ever. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, oh boy, you can thank me later. Again, most interesting He-Man ever. And I pray. Uh, I want to give an Action Force character the He-Man haircut. Well, that's a good idea. You know what? Just include a really bad toupee for Carrick. There you go. <laughs> Can't you see one of, one of the bad guys busting into his uh, his you know planning room and he's in there with <laughs> with a toupee on and some action <laughs> figures? No, I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. That's it. Next question in Ryan Costello's postdoc. G.I. Joe's most underrated era, question mark. I'm sure you guys have some thoughts on this. Underrated? Hmm. What's the one that you love that nobody else loves? Okay, I'll take first jump here. And it's not that I love it because I didn't collect a stitch of it. Well, maybe one or two things. But Sigma 6 done just slightly differently really would have had a chance if you think about just the packaging of that line the split foot locker to keep the weapons in Mm -hmm. the light blinking at you from the shelf come on over here kid take a look at this ridiculous (laughs) it's almost not fair yeah that sounded creepier than i wanted it to but um (laughs) the show heard it because the show was pretty wretched. 
But the brutal part, I'm okay that they went a different size. And even as a Joe collector and a big Joe fan back then, I was okay with it. I wanted it to do well because anything good for Joe is good for the overall brand, but I wasn't going to collect it. And then I think a year into it, they decided, well, it's not quite working. Let's go with a different scale. And then with the second scale, they chose not to do three and three quarters. If you'd done the same guys in the scale the dedicated Joe fans loved and were waiting for, and think about it at that time, coming off the what Joe fans had had right before, if they'd done proper articulated three and three quarters, they might still be doing Sigma six today. But to go, yeah, we're going to do a different scale. Oh, what scale? Two and a half. Just, oh. Guys. Yeah. All new tooling. Now you can get the same characters, but smaller. So why would you buy the big one when you can get a jet for the price of a figure? Like, just, I don't get it. I'm sure they they did a lot of market research, but that one I still can't wrap my head around. So the unrealized potential of Sigma 6 with a better show and a three and three quarters portion of it. That's the one that that I I mourn the execution of <clears throat> on two different levels. I agree with that. I and even fans of Sigma Six tend to acknowledge that the first season of the TV show was pretty horrible, but it it started to turn up in the second season, and so they even had momentum going. The eight inch figures were superb, albeit again I never bought a single one of them. They were great toys, though. I can recognize they're great toys. I just didn't have the money or the space for them at that point. I bought as a diehard Joe collector just because I had money, you know, burning a hole in the pocket at that point. I think I bought their Firebat jet and I bought the Dragonhawk because the Dragonhawk is outstanding. Yeah. And there's a lot of good stuff going on. It It was something that I always put on the card at at JoeCon was that, especially after they started the FSS. If they did an FSS run of all Sigma 6, I'd have been in on that one. I, yep. mean, I, w- I was in on the first six of them anyway. I don't, make, don't want to make it sound like I, I picked and choose very much. A, a run of Sigma 6 in the FSS would have gone over like gangbusters. Would have been what all those fans wanted from the very beginning. Yep. <laughs> Bobby, what you got? It's tough because I don't really think there's a... Like an era that I like that I don't think was a popular era. Mark will tell you there's definitely an era I think was an era that I don't even acknowledge. Like it doesn't even exist to me is the 2000s from 2001 to like 2006. I, I don't believe any of that even exists. None of it will ever be in my collection. It was all junk. Yeah, maybe some some cool characters were created, but as far as a product line, I thought it was absolutely terrible. But I think eras, I don't know. I mean, if you were to break up Real American Hero into eras, if you could actually do that, I'd probably say like 90-91 was probably an underrated era. And, you know, for me, I was a child of the 80s and the 90s, so I got to span really good times so 88 89 90 91 were like prime years for me for joe 
But I look at 90 and 91 had some amazing figures like General Hawk with a jetpack and the the tan Duke with the red highlights is probably one of, if not my favorite Duke figure. Markle attests to this interrogator, an amazing character. Best uh, Cobra just, ever. Yeah. Tracker with the blow up raft. It's like low, version two low light is a spitting image of my father. So, you know, <laughs> heavy duty with his Gatling guns, like great, great, great figures. Eco force was awesome. I think that time, you know, gets a lot of flack like, oh, you know, they started getting cheesy with the bright colors. And yes, Sonic Fighters very weird ninja force gets crazy you know people could say eco warriors got a little little nuts but that era was was very cool and when i'm designing like the action force figures it's like i want to keep them really grounded so i always divert to hardcore military colors but then everyone looks kind of bland and the same and then i look at my wall and i'm like wow like you see that the colors kind of evolve and they took these chances with these bright colors that I would have never done. But it gets me to look at it and say, wow, I, I need to implement more of that in the characters I'm designing because you don't want everyone to kind of look similar. And they, they did a really good job of having these military-esque colors, but then throwing these pops of brightness in there that just made characters so unique. Such a Such a great time, I think, were those those early 90s after 92 it gets it gets kind of crazy you know 93 94 just it's just a, a, a mess but um yeah 90 89 90 91 great great time i've always said that 88 is my favorite year but the, i feel like 88 still falls within like the prime real american hero time but late 89 and then 90 91 92 was i feel like an underrated era so if you were to break up real American hero, we're going to call what you just described there as the Deke era. Yeah, it's it's definitely the Deke era. I love that I grew up on the Deke cartoon. So, yeah, the Deke era is definitely what it is. And I'm down with all of that except for Tracker. Man. <laughs> with that boat and the muscle shirt and the Cyclops uh, visor, like, I, yeah. <laughs> Wow, no love for Tracker. No love for Tracker. No, I'm sorry. But (laughs) Interrogator, if there's a more underrated Cobra, I haven't met him yet. When they put him in the Hearts and Minds comic and let Max Brooks write him, I I was beside myself happy. And then personal shout out here, because, you know, why not? When the club knew that I liked him and let me write his file card, That'll be one of the all-time highlights of my toy career. So excited for that. So he is, you know, Webb. I thought Interrogator was so cool that he took the place of my Cobra Commander figure because I thought he just looked so cool. I'm like, he could totally be a replacement for Cobra Commander because he just had that look to him. So he always he always led Cobra when I was battling. He literally he is Cobra Fett, right? Yeah. With that helmet and that outfit, and <laughs> nice, he's he's ridiculous. And that was, and the thing I liked that I put in the file card was the idea that he would be the kind of guy because he's fully covered head to toe, right? So if you're just a viper or somebody else at the base, you have no idea who that guy really is, right? His voice is all modulated, 
covered head to toe. And so the idea that this guy, you know nothing about him except he's dangerous and smart, way up the food chain, up up the pay scale, and he might be the guy sitting next to you at, in the mess hall, and you'd never know it. So he would be, I think he would be a, a really unpopular character within the actual Cobra ranks. And so I dug every bit of that. So little had been done to expound on this really cool character that I loved when they gave him some comic time and when I got to do a little comic book flexing on him. He's the best. You could redo him in gray and neon yellow and he'd still be cool. <laughs> I don't know about that. If you were so inclined. Yeah. And then he and Tracker could fight in a jet black room and you could still follow all the action. <laughs> It'd have to be a jet black like river or something to make use of the boat. If you remember the live action cartoons, Interrogator beat the snot out of Duke. Oh. Not the cartoon, but commercial. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I followed you. Oh, yeah. Interrogator time. <laughs> Hey, Webb, what year did the club do that interrogator figure? Was it 16, maybe? Oh, right for the pickings. Might have to put him in action force, let you write the file card. Yeah, there we go. That's my boy. I had a very small fingerprint on action force, but I did get to write Bone Collector's file card. Oh, and I loved right. that, that people dug his backstory. I took a lot of uh, pride in that because I loved writing file cards. And because Hasbro has writers who are paid to do that, marketers don't get to do that very often. So that I got to write Interrogator and uh, Ghost Rider for the club. And then that Bobby approached me and let me write a couple of the Action Force guys. I love that. I didn't get to do it much because, again, they have paid professionals to do that. <laughs> writing file cards, my favorite thing in the world. We'll move into regular post-sock here. First couple are mostly, you guys aren't going to have much to say about them. They're, they're probably more for me. Uh, first question is from Jason Latrell via Facebook. Any chance of a reunion episode with the original hosts, Gary, Greg, Chuck, and Justin? I like the current cast. No mention of substitutes. Just think it would be fun to catch up with the old guard. Probably three-quarters of the original hosts would have a good chance of reappearing. Fourth one doesn't. <laughs> That's mostly on him and not on us, so I, I'm not going to feel bad about that. So chance of a full-blown reunion episode, slim. Next question is on a similar vein. I've been catching up on past episodes. At some point, there was a turnover of people. Could you tell me why they left or stepped back? Thanks, great podcast. That's from Brandon McLeod, also via Facebook. And it's something we've covered in, in past episodes. If you're going through the library, you'll eventually catch up to that because we do address most departures at some point. You know, life changes. Priorities change. And, and sometimes what you're able to do one month is not what you're able to do going forward. Your interest level may be different. There's just any number of reasons why you would do something like this and then decide to stop doing something like this. It's a lot of work. And you have to be, you have to be into it. If you're going to do it, you, you better be 100% ready to do it. So that was the case with Gary. Gary, for a long time, was 
uh, the lead host. He did most of the editing and production work, and it just got to be too much for him uh, with, with some changing life situations. He got a new job that required more of his time, left less time for this stuff. Same thing with Justin. Justin's writing career took up a lot of his time. He doesn't have the free time to hang out with us on a Tuesday night for three, four hours like he did before. And so Justin is not a host anymore. Greg hit a certain point, too, where he just he was he, he did not have the time. His life was changing. He got married and, and started a family and and all that happened. You know, sometimes it's the podcast duties that that have to take a back seat. So you said duties. <laughs> duties. Duties. But so yeah, just life happens. You know, it might happen again someday. You never know. So, gotta roll with the punches. You gotta take each change as they come. Nothing else you can do. The only constant is change, right? Right. Hence the two guest hosts. Hence tonight. the two guest hostesses with the mostesses. Wait, you're not you're not guest hostesses. Sometimes you never see it coming. I remember Bobby and I going, Bobby, we finally get to work on Joe together. This is gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. The the interesting thing is during my short lived era on Joe, I got to work on the best item I ever worked on in my whole entire toy career. So it wasn't all terrible, I guess. What that's was that? the the missile, missile command set, right? Yep. Yeah, and that's the only thing you can legitimately say you and I worked on together. Yeah, it's the only thing that came out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we had we had really great ideas for other stuff that never got really greenlit. But man, we were a pitching staff. Yeah, we were pair of aces, man, <laughs> just striking yep. out left and right. <laughs> it was not a receptive environment. No. <laughs> For, for Joe at that particular point. So so anyways, Brandon, I hope that gives the nickel answers to your questions. I don't really want to get any further into it than that because they're not my stories to tell. I'm the one who's still here. So obviously I don't have a whole lot of stories about leaving the show. Hey, Mike, the winners write history. Yeah. Sure. Say whatever you want. Is this winning? I guess right. uh, there's no real prize, but right. congratulations. <laughs> Last question. This is from John Comer via Facebook. Please ask Mark Weber how his hand is healing and ask Bobby if we can get a swarm slash steel brigade troop builder. And to you, John, I say, no, I will not ask. <laughs> Bobby, what about it? I mean, they are troop builders, so yeah. I I think sure. he means um, in in a multiple set. I think that's the implication there. Oh, let me get this thing off the ground first. I think <laughs> step one is getting it funded. So uh, you know, let's let's get into multi packs and uh, those kind of things as time goes on. I have tons of ideas for things to do once the project gets funded but you know let's let's start with some single figures you know the steel brigade and the swarm trooper are the troop builders so you can buy as many as you want but yeah down the road there's every option for anything but to start let's just roll with some single figures for now and just do our best to make sure it, the action force becomes a reality so that i can continue 
doing things like multi-packs and more troop builders and things like that because I definitely have ideas and I want to do way more. There you go. You're not ready for John Comer's next level marketing. That's all. <laughs> Just admit it, Bobby. It's okay. It's early. Just down early. the road. Just down the road, yeah. Just down the road. We'll just say possibilities are open. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Spin that. See, I got a, I got a degree that, that lets me do marketing, too. I ain't no stranger to your world, Mark Weber. <laughs> Everybody can do marketing. Marketing's easy. That's what I keep telling them. <laughs> you, know how many, you, know how many marketer, you know how many marketers it takes to screw in a light bulb? Uh... Eighteen or nineteen? Nah, just one. We hold the bulb up, and the world revolves around us. <laughs> nice. Wow. <laughs> I know you tell marketer jokes with all your designer friends, Bobby. You I don't mean, have to. You don't that, have to play that, nice. that joke. That joke is a hundred percent true of Hasbro marketers. <laughs> the people still there. So, so Mark, you were one of the exceptions. I was an aberration. Like designers were like, that guy, he's okay. Which means there's something wrong with him, but... We'll take him to lunch to not spit in his burger. My very last day, four designers escorted me, friendly, uh, on my way out. To be clear, they did not walk out with me and go, forget it, I'm standing with Webb. But I had an honor guard to the door, and I will always remember that. It was a very, very cool thing. And it occurred to me on the walk, hey, these are all designers. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't a marketer here. Nope. Nope. They were all yeah. huddled down in their cubes. Better him than me. Yeah. There he goes. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Exactly. So how's the hand, Mark? So I posted a picture up on Facebook of my hand. Let's not overplay it, but two big band-aids on it, one good one on my leg. And I don't know how many of you have cats, but... I'm a cat guy. I'm not a dog guy, right? But I got to believe giving dogs medicine is a lot easier than giving cats medicine. And my market research on this is I used to have a 15-pound gigantic tub of a cat named Dante. And Dante was really fat, but pretty strong, too, under you know all the rolls. And giving him pills was a nightmare. Worst thing ever. He would kick and buck and just the worst. And then the smartest vet I ever met had to give him a pill. And I was ready. I had the popcorn. I'm like, have a ball, buddy. It was like watching a four-year-old get on the electric bull. Like, <laughs> this is going to be awesome. You do it. So I sat there I, with this dopey smile on my face and this doc in D.C. <laughs> took the pill put it on the, the, you know, the metal diving board in a vet's office and reached into the fridge and pulled out a can of easy cheese, right? Which is easy, but it's not cheese. And he just squirted a little mountain of easy cheese on top of the pill. And my 15 pound cat Dante never moved faster in his life to get to that and lap the whole thing up and gulp <laughs> down it went pill included. He looked at me and he's like, he was so nice about it. He said, sometimes it's actually easier with the heavier cats. And I'm like, I get it. He's a tub. And he wants that easy cheese. 
So Dante's not with us any longer, unfortunately. It's the 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 sad the receipt of being a fifteen pound cat. But we have uh, Colin with eight hundred claws. Basically, you know, he's X twenty five. And Dots. Dots is my daughter's cat. Dots is the most docile thing you've ever met. Scared of everything. Pretty sure everything's about to kill her, so she's always on the move. And unfortunately, Dots uh, requires some, not pills, a syringe with no needle, right, in the mouth. She just needs Mm -hmm. uh, some antibiotics. Ten-day treatment, twice a day. So the first day, she doesn't know it's coming. And I get her by the scruff of the neck, sit down kind of around her, right? So she's between the legs. And then tilt the head up, syringe in, squirt, pinch the jaw, and then you rub the throat area that makes them swallow. No problem. Dots weighs six and a half pounds. So, cool. We're done with day one. So, day two, I'm not anticipating any other trouble. So, I'm wearing a t-shirt and shorts, no socks, no shoes, nothing. Grab Dots, set her down on the floor, sit down around her, tilt the head up. I get the first half of it in, and when I tilt the head up a second time, Dots goes with it, like rolling with the punch, basically. Mm-hmm. Turns sideways and uses, they're not, none of our cats are declawed, uses all four legs to use the inside of my shin and thigh as a scratching post. Because that's what she has access to, right? So she ripped the tar my leg and that right hand. Got free. My two children learned a new word, which is exciting, especially when you yell it. And I threw the syringe at the cat as it escaped down the floor and, and up the stairs. So, yeah. That's how much fun cat ownership is at times. And the lovely Mrs. Weber suggested, maybe I can help you with that. And I'm, I said, I, I would love a little help. Now we wrap her in a giant towel and Mrs. Weber holds her in a bathroom with a closed door. So there's no escape. And we are four treatments into a 20 treatment episode. So, yeah, that's what, Love I, used you dots. To, that's what I used to have to do with, with our cats. I would always take them into the bathroom, grab them by the scruff of the neck and then put them in the bathroom sink. At which point the cat is pretty nervous about, perhaps getting hit with water. And so right. then when you give the cat medicine and it's still dry, it like it feels better. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you just let it go. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not getting a cleaning. I'm not getting a bath. Okay. Okay. And it we just had a, very, very gently we had a cat goes when away. I was young who was so smart that when they would hear the medicine shaking or any other kind of tell that it was coming, she'd go hide under the biggest bed in the house. So it was a nightmare to get Missy out to try to do the, the medicine with. Dots is dumb as a rock. And so every time we come towards her, she's not, she doesn't expect that this thing is about to happen again because she doesn't remember it happening before. Like, it happens twice a day, and she's shocked every time we grab her. But... It also means she fights like hell because it's a new horror twice a day for 10 days. So there you go. I envy the dog owners with their, you know, whatever dog pills they have to give with a dollop of peanut butter on top of it and done deal. Mm. 
We had a cocker spaniel that used to he used to eat around his heartworm pill. It was a it was a pellet, and it was about the same size as his food pellet. So we would just put it in the bowl, mix it up, put the dog food down. And I can't tell you how many times we would go back after. I mean, dog goes and he's just wolfing it down, right? And we we, we walk over to where the bowl is, and there is one pellet in the bowl, and it is his heartworm pill. <laughs> so they're they're just as crafty about it all. Anyway. That was Freckles. He was he was a smart one. <laughs> well, I appreciate the concern from the uh, from the Joe community. The hand the hand is fine, and we are we are tackling dots as a tag team now, so no problems. Gingers don't scar. Little known fact. No, we just burn. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the term is ignite. Oh, I was at the pool with the kids today, and I'm already looking at how pink. I'm getting, it's like, I, I need to mark myself safe on Facebook from the swimming pool. For real, you're, you're alive and that should be considered a win. Man, who's taking my life in my own hands. That brings us to the home stretch. We're through the news. We are through Jan Postsock. It is time for what we got in, where we review our various toy purchases of the last however many weeks. Bobby Vella, why don't you go first? What you got in? Pretty much the same thing I get in all the time is Steel Brigade stuff. <laughs> because I buy up so many of them. I think at any given week, I'm usually getting two to three new Steel Brigade figures and or file cards. It's mostly the file cards because I end up overpaying and buying all the file cards that come up on eBay. Mm. You know, I've just destroyed the market for myself and everyone gets mad at me. Um <laughs> Because I've basically driven up the market on Steel Brigade file cards, but I'm the only one buying them, so I've driven it up on myself. So it's kind of funny. But, you know, once I started that tracking website, I kind of just snowballed. And then uh, I just redid an area in my Joe room to make my Steel Brigade display larger. So now I'm like, oh, well, I have all this extra room now, so I can just keep buying more. So, yeah, always Steel Brigade. But, uh because I'm relaunching with the new models for Action Force, I've been doing like articulated comic book art type stuff with the, the figures. For those of you following on social media, if you've noticed, I've messed with some of the models that I have and put them in kind of scenes with Legends or Star Wars figures and things like that. I thought it'd be cool to keep doing more of that. So I've, I've been buying up a bunch of one twelfth scale diorama pieces just to make like environments so that when I get the new models done, I can put them in these spaces rather than just taking photos of them on the white backdrop. I think seeing them in like a space is pretty cool and, and does a lot more for the figure. So I've been buying up a bunch of that. I haven't gotten it yet, but that's what we'll, I will be getting very soon. But other than that, Steel Brigade stuff. <laughs> uh, the obvious question, how many figures from the Joe line do you have? The vintage Real American Hero line, I have... I believe 75 and then I have 42 file cards, something like 30 something patches. So it's getting up there. Mm, that's outstanding. Carson said I have the largest collection. I don't know if that's true, but I haven't seen someone with a bigger collection. I think I definitely have the most file cards. A lot of people don't really care too much about the file cards to them. It's more the figure. 
But to me, the the cool thing is the file card because it's unique. It's got the the character's name, and you know some of them have the kid's chicken scratch handwriting uh, on the signature line. So that's the cool part about it. Plus, it's it's how you're able to track these figures. I'll never know how many they actually produced, but one day I hope to be able to figure out as much information, comprehensive information on these guys as possible. And I know I've been slacking on the the tracker website, but the goal is because I'm going to be doing Steel Brigade figures in Action Force with personalized file cards, I'm going to make it so that you can track those Steel Brigade figures on the website. And then I'm also going to have that link to the Steel Brigade tracker site that I already have going. So it'll be more comprehensive, more user-friendly. I might do it so that you could just enter in your own information rather than me putting it in. It's cool that I started that because I've seen people, so many people have submitted information about their Steel Brigade figures, which is really, really cool. So I've had this big comprehensive list of where these figures are, if they're the original owner, what version they are, what state they're in, uh, that kind of thing. So it's 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 a fun little thing to track because it's really the only figure you can track because of the individual serial numbers on them. Like you can't track every Duke figure because it was just a mass-produced figure. Sure. But these are just a unique kind of trackable figure, and that's why I, I like them so much. I assume there's an autorespond email that you send all these people that asks if it's for sale. um i i do tend to ask everyone the majority of the people submitting on the site actually i i don't think i've ever gotten anyone to sell any of them that have submitted on the site so the people submitting are the people that that care and you know yeah yeah, i get it just trying to sell it and make some money be that as it may as the wise man once said everybody's got a price (laughs) <laughs> yeah there we go yeah um everybody does have a price and i do the price on steel brigade stuff so they're all gonna be in bobby's collection eventually so let's just go to the space right they don't they don't all have to be i mean there's a few i would love to have like daryl still has his original regular and gold head steel brigades from when he was a kid and the first Steel Brigade he had, he actually named Daryl the Priest. So on the file card, it says Daryl the Priest. So that's like one I would really love to own. He would never, he would never sell them, but right. uh, something like that is very cool. Although I did get, and it was fitting that I got this one. I put it on social media a couple weeks ago. I just bought one recently, and the name of the figure is Condor, which is the leader of action force in my mm-hmm. line. So it was kind of fitting that I got that file card with that name. So that's been the first action force figure name on a card. So that was pretty cool. Nothing too unique. I mean, kids come up with pretty cool names, but I have some, some repeats of kids using the same name, but you know, some very unique names, but would love that Daryl priest for sure. Yeah. I'll see what I, I'll see what I can do about that. I know a guy. <laughs> Believe me. I've tried. <laughs> Daryl is not interested in any amount of your blood, Bobby. No, he's a hoarder. <laughs> and as he should be. <laughs> Mark Weber, what'd you get in? You know what? I've I've been such a light shopper for a long time, but I did actually pop into the Joe Collector Club Everything Must Go sale. 
And I bought some movie posters. They had some of the individual character posters from Rise of Cobra. Mm -hmm. I don't have many of these, but I'm a sucker for them. The actual theatrical posters that are printed on both sides. Mm. I think those are outstanding. So I got five character posters in a bundle and a retaliation double-sided movie poster shipped for like 20 bucks. Nice. So I don't have anywhere to put them, but it was cool. And I mean, who knows if there will ever be another G.I. Joe movie. So I thought I'd, uh, <laughs> I thought I'd fall uh, on that. Just, fall on we that just talked about day. that, man. Yeah. We just talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I, I dial back into that, like before Rise of Cobra was a reality and we were all some level of disappointed with it. But before it came out, when it was just a trailer and character posters and stuff, that was a really exciting time to be a Joe fan. And so I think that's why that kind of stuff still speaks to me. Anything else? Anything non-Joe? No, that, that's pretty much it. That and my big shiny C plus out of my math classes there you go. is is all I need. I'm a simple man, as my C plus will attest to. <laughs> You're slightly better than simple. Yeah, it's, just a little bit. It's a Not C much. plus after all. Yeah, you know, I bought a couple of of old old DVDs to show to the kids of movies. They're they're actually arriving this week, but uh, I had forgotten how much I liked the movie Time Bandits. When I was oh, a kid, so good. and I got like a like a twenty year old DVD for like a buck off eBay, so that's a steal. And then with all the all the news and and celebration about the anniversary of the Apollo mission, I got a cheap copy of Apollo thirteen to show the kids. And that's I mean that is one of the what I found is one of the pure joys of parenthood is sharing that cool stuff with your kids when they're ready for it. And we've been really careful not to spring anything too quick. Mm. And the acid test for that is coming up on October 13th. Wherever you are, there's a limited run of the original Alien movie coming back to theaters for just like a weekend. And my son, who's been very careful, we've been very careful not to show him scary stuff too early. I've been slowly ramping up the scary level of the movies, and he's been able to handle everything so far. So he and I have tickets to go see Alien in the theater October 13th, which is a big deal for me because I was born in 73. I've never seen Alien in a theater before. Mm. So we're pretty hyped up about that. That is pretty cool. It's not a New England thing. It's I think it's Fathom Events. And they do this now and then. I took him to see Terminator 2 a couple of years ago when he was ready for it. Terminator 2 is not as gory as you think. And there's no skin. There's no innuendo at all. Mm -hmm. There's violence and there's a bit of language. But it holds up tremendously well. The T-1000 is still pretty remarkable animation. So I took him to see that in the theater thinking about it and going, you know what? I think this is going to be okay. He was 10 at the time. And we walked in and I saw the big R on the poster and I had forgotten that that was rated R. Yeah. Cause they wouldn't, deal they, too. they wouldn't, they wouldn't make a summer blockbuster like that, that expensive at rated R anymore. So, you know, we already bought the tickets, nothing I could do about it. So we went in and sat down and now I'm a little bit nervous 
And in the previews, it was, I think, the second Kingsman movie. Channing Tatum in the in the trailer screams out one of the loudest f bombs I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my ten year old going, "Ah oh, man, parent of the year, F- Duke." Glad I didn't bring my wife to this one. <laughs> of course, since she's an avid listener, she'll know now. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> or that it's. 11.51, and I'm still yelling down the stairs either way. Nobody's keeping track. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> it's the sacrifices we make. That's right. What about you, Mike? What, what I get, get in? in? I haven't gotten much. My my toy buying has really slowed down. Budgetary crunches and all. Most of what I get you can find on Instagram. I, I'm usually pretty good about putting it up there. I have picked up a couple of Real American Hero era figures of note i did get myself a and a very nice interrogator a couple weeks ago so good with the gun with the gun at toy man here in st louis uh last time around i did pick up at a local shop another to my growing ranks of 86 beachheads and the figures wait wait wait. 1986 or you have 86 1986 no, I've only got five of them to this point. The The figure is in real nice shape, but didn't have any of the accessories. And just on a lark, this, the, the guy at the shop had the replacement pack, backpack, and, and ammunition bag. And they're this terrible cream yellow color. Ooh, the accessory pack one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I've got them with him just so I know that he's that particular one. He's number five in the line. So... <laughs> It's really, it's awful, but it's fun to look at. When you got a bunch of them all clustered up on your shelf like I do right now, it, it sets them apart. But that's really about it. I'm, I would have to actually pull up my own Instagram account to see if there's any more. I don't post to that nearly as often as I should. You know who else got interrogators done later on? Who's that? Nobody. Oh, well. Nobody else is man enough to... <laughs> Carry a, a claw Some rifle. A claw on it. That's uh, what I'm talking about. The same day I got the interrogator, I also picked up a heat viper from uh, another shop here in town. And then on the same day that I got Beachhead, which is maybe a week or two later, found some other a uh, couple of vipers, Cobra vipers from '86. I got a complete repeater, and I got Major Altitude in his big ass helmet. <laughs> With his file card. I loved Repeater. Oh, Repeater's great. I never had, for whatever reason, he was just a guy that I had missed to this point. Like, I, I even like Repeater, and it just never occurred to me, hey, maybe you should buy one. I had the club ones, but I never had a vintage one un- until about three weeks ago, I guess. I mean, he basically had the smart gun from Aliens, right? Yeah. I, I liked some of the goofy stuff, too, but the guys who actually looked like semi-legit military... Those are those always went a long way for me. Yeah, yeah, same here. I like the guys that you can just put them with anybody else, and they look like they fit as a team. Mm. You know, I think major altitude the, there it, sticks out a little bit in the the picture on Instagram. I think that's part of the enduring popularity of hit and run that we talked about a little bit. Yeah, like there's no characterization there. There's no reason to like hit and run except he looks like a badass. He. 
got more mileage out of the four sentences on the file card than most guys got. Yeah. I'll give it I'll give it that. So I I can't you can't say that there's no characterization there. But in terms of you're collecting essentially army guys and he he's an army guy. If he's nothing else, yeah. he's an army guy. Yeah, so. I think I meant just that he got no play in the cartoon and very little in the comic. And yet hit and run, I would say I would dare say is in everyone's top twenty for sure. Yeah. Maybe even top ten. Yeah. I'd agree with that. He's he's not in my either. No? Nah. Wow. I, mean, I, I got nothing against him, but he's just yeah, nah. If you're talking out of the franchise, definitely not. But even if you're just breaking down the list to to just GI Joes, eh? No, I can still easily line up twenty that I and not get to hit and run and and be perfectly okay with that. I think you're in the significant minority there, Mike, but that's okay. Yeah, maybe. As long as Steel Brigade's in your top twenty. For the purposes of this episode, yes, yes, he is. <laughs> I can't even say, I can't even say the name on a podcast without writing a royalty check. I think so. Yeah, that's it's, right. It's gotten to that point. It, it's good that you're if, here because otherwise say, we'd have to pay out. If I say he who shall not be named, I'm going to owe a peanut butter shake. I know it. So, <laughs> and as we discussed pre-show, but, those those aren't getting any cheaper. No, they aren't. Not at all. You know, just to to kiss up while he's on the line. The fact that Bobby bought the name for his favorite Joe character ever is ridiculous fandom, and I'm digging that forever. <laughs> yeah, there's about 10% of the people out there that are mad about it, but the reception was, you know, overwhelmingly positive. And yeah, well, at the end of the day, it's like, I can do a figure line and put my favorite Joe in it. And Mark, you always found it odd that you were like, no one's a Steel Brigade fan. Like, who's a Steel Brigade fan? Yeah, I've, ne- I've never met another guy, which is really weird, considering it was the personalized Joe that you could make exactly what you wanted or make you as a soldier. But I have never met somebody else whose number one favorite figure slash character was Steel Brigade ever. That's good. But no, but I think that's awesome. You know, it's a, it's a badge of fun. It's one of the reasons why I'm... Proud to be, you know, interrogator guy, right? Because there aren't yeah. too many people where when you say, who's your favorite Cobra, out of 100 people, you're not going to get one interrogator. You'll get a ton of Destros, Baronesses, and Cobra Commanders, and Fireflies, and even some Scrap Irons, but you're not getting too many interrogators. I think you're just hanging out too much with the over 40 crowd. Maybe. I think I think the younger end of the, the Real American Hero bunch, I think a lot of them go for interrogator. All right. Well, hey, him being more popular is fine by me. But let's be clear. Bobby is not the reason you aren't getting Steel Brigade figures from the Big H. He totally <laughs> This is. is true. Legally, he is, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Really, you're, you're, you bought a name that they weren't doing anything with anyway. More power. Yeah. If you, yeah think, if you think there's a giant board meeting going on in Pawtucket where they're shaking their fists at the sky and going, Curses! The Steel Brigade program cannot launch. Uh, you're, you are fondly deluded. Well, that's what I tell everyone when they're like, you know, they get a little mad that I got it. It's like, listen, uh, Hasbro was aware of it. They get notified of every trademark that gets filed. 
So they were aware. They saw it, and they didn't challenge it. So, And, and one of the most important jobs I had on both Transformers and Joe was to analyze the names that were coming up for renewal ahead of time to figure out which ones we needed to protect and which ones we were okay to let go or let go let go unprotected. So that's, that's why Roadblock's in that Revolution set. That's exactly why Roadblock's in that set. And because Bobby and I both desperately wanted to get that Renegades figure out there as the Damn only straight. one of the original crew that never got released. So Wave one yeah. of the Snake Eyes movie line will have the vaunted aluminum squadroneers. No one will know. Let's, no one will ever know. Let's hope so. <laughs> I'd buy up some aluminum squadroneers. What the hell? It'd be something, right? <laughs> Anyways, that brings us to shout outs. Respect the people you want to respect. Bobby Vala. There's, oh my God, there's so many that have helped out with this whole Action Force project, you know. Grace Arlen sculpting for me. I got a new guy, Ed, doing some sculpts for me. The two writers that I have going on right now, I wish I can kind of say who they were, and I'm sure they wouldn't mind, but I just wanted to ask them first. You, you can say it, and then I can edit it out if you, if you want me to. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it is, it is my webcomic, and I did hire them to do it, so it is... It is. Bill Nidro and Justin Bell are doing a fantastic job with the writing for Action Force right now. That's Obviously, your big secret? you guys secret? know who they are. The first two names I'd have guessed are the, fir- are the names that you said, so <laughs> sure, whatever. I had money on Liefeld. <laughs> ah, that's funny. That's true. He did. I've seen the receipt. Yeah, but all joking aside, love those guys, and yeah. they do great work. So I'm I'm excited to to see what they put together. Yeah, they're doing a, a great job. I love the direction they're taking things in. It's been great so far. I've been reaching out to a lot of people who, you know, after the the, the Kickstarter didn't fund, reached out. They that, that were backers and said, you know, oh, you know, it's it's too bad. I wanted this to succeed, but gave me some some really good, you know, constructive criticism. And I actually got on the phone with these guys and they're like, wait, you want to like talk to me on the phone? I'm like, yes, I want to like talk to you and find out like, you know, what your thoughts are and things like that. So there's a, a bunch of individuals who I'm very grateful for that took time out to actually talk to me and give me their two cents and have, have been great advocates for, you know, Action Force as a whole, you know, just taking time out of their day to say, hey, I, I got this idea, or hey, I, I checked this out, you know, maybe you should look into this, and getting the, the feedback I got and having people like that to, to help out has been fantastic. So everyone that's that's helped with Action Force, I'm naming everyone as, as a whole. I, I thank everyone because... That's all right. When you make lists, invariably, you forget somebody. So good, good <laughs> exactly. to just recognize a group. Mark Weber. I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, I actually ended up back at Hasbro a week or two ago as part of an NBA tour, which was <laughs> a little bit surreal. But <laughs> dropping by, I got to see two of my very favorite guys that I worked with. Bill Raleigh, whose Cookie Monster deserved a far sweeter fate, and Mark Maha, who is a really 
was for a long time a very overlooked key member of the Transformers team, the guy who painted all of the original prototypes. And the kind of guy that cares so much about the brand, he has a Decepticon logo tattooed right over his heart. So an absolutely wonderful guy who got the chance to finally do his dream job and design actual toys on the Transformers team. He was a guy that was so critical down in the model shop that it shackled him for a long time. The fact that he was so good, they couldn't imagine life without him. So that he got to bust that shackle and get out and is doing great work on a brand that is literally close to his heart. I got to see both of those guys who are two of my very best friends from the big age. So shout out to Mark Maha and Bill Rawling. That's it? That's good enough. All right. Neither of you guys have, like, families or anything? Eh. Uh, <laughs> well, if you, if you want to, like, if you want to make me feel bad about it, uh, you know, I'll, I'll shout out to my pregnant wife who is going to be giving birth to our daughter next week. So, you know, now I won't have to feel bad about not giving a shout out you after you mentioned family. I'm trying to help you out, Bobby Vala. I'm trying to help <laughs> you out. That's right, I'm sure she's going to be listening to the podcast. It, it doesn't matter. She might be listening to you right now in the next room, man. You never know. She, she's nine months pregnant. I'm sure she's been asleep for the last four hours. Yeah, get it while you can. Or she's up, up late watching chips because the thing won't stop moving. You never know. You never know. Exactly. You never know. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you, Bobby Vala. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and I, for one, cannot wait to meet little Steel Brigade Vala when she arrives. That's right. That's exactly what her name is. And she's going to owe me royalties for having that name. That's it. Every time she signs a test at school, she'll have to put a little TM by it. That's right. <laughs> you could call her Ada. And that way it works into Steel Brigade. <laughs> well, I like it. Huh? No response. So I'm going to say that that's a win. He's totally going to do that. <laughs> that, is, that is number one on his list of things to name the child. <laughs> oh, for me. It's outstanding. Uh, my shout outs. We've brought them up a lot tonight. So all of our hosts past and present give a shout out specifically to Joe and Carson who are just busy out of their minds and, and unable to join us tonight. Shout out, of course, to you two gentlemen for stepping in in their places. And that for anyone who has not been paying attention for the last two and a half hours, Mark Weber and Bobby Vala. A shout out to Don and Jenny Maui and their family. And I'm not going to get too far into their business. Just we're thinking of you. You guys need a shout out. Of course, to our sponsors. You heard them listed earlier in the episode. And to everybody who's listening tonight, uh, thank you so much for your time and for continuing to be with us, in some cases, six, seven, eight years down the road. Uh, to everybody who's just finding us now and going back through the library, appreciate your going back and enjoying the work that we did previously. You know, spread the word. Thanks again for tuning in to What's on Joe Mind. If you have a few dollars laying around want to support the show, we do have merchandise and T-shirts available at the What's on Joe Mall on Etsy. That is etsy.com slash shop slash what's on Joe Mall. 
Remember that you can contact us anytime by email at whatsonjoemind at gmail.com, at WOJM Podcast on Twitter, at whatsonjoemind on Instagram, on our self-titled Facebook page, or by voicemail at 262-515-WOJM. That's 262-515-9656. We look forward to feedback, questions for the postdoc, episode ideas, any correspondence from Joe fans near, far, and everywhere. For my co-hosts, Bobby Valla and Mark Weber, this is Mike Irizarry. Have a great evening. Make tomorrow a better day. Have a good rest of the night. Thank you.